here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Krejci alongside, as always, the leader, the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, and the creator of Wrestling Hot Takes, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? Yes, I am the creator of Wrestling Hot Takes. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know that. That that's uh, for you know. Obviously, if you're not in the you know in our Twitter bubble or whatnot, we um we were accredited. I guess is it? Would you consider it credited? Like, I'm pretty proud of it. I'm pretty proud of our accomplishment that I didn't know we had. Would, would credited be the right word? Well, if, you... if we did what the guy said, he said that uh, we are responsible for hot take uh, wrestling culture and destroying online wrestling <laughs> oh, discourse. That's right. We destroyed, we in the year, what, 2018, destroyed online wrestling discourse. If, if You heard it here first, people. If we destroyed the online wrestling conversation, I would take credit for that. I think that needs to go down in flames. But, uh, yeah, that that's the latest claim by our... Uh, you know, but I, I feel like the moment I got on the internet in like 1997, wrestling discourse was already utter shit. <laughs> like, like I'm sure our rec sport, you know, wrestler, whatever the hell it was, utter shit. Right? There's no way that we were responsible in 2018. But maybe here's I'm wrong. The, maybe we are responsible. Here's the thing, though: is is there any topic of discourse online that anybody thinks is good ever? I, I kind of think that that sort of thing is overblown. Like. If you're into comics, you think comic discourse is the shits. If you're into politics, right. obviously you think politics discourse is the absolute shits. And you know, I don't think I don't think anyone would disagree with that one. If you're into no, that is unequivocally that true. That is universal. Sure, yeah. I think if you're into whatever it is that you're into, I mean, I complain about you know horrible baseball fans all the time on baseball Twitter. You complain about horrible basketball fans all the time on basketball Twitter. TJP. It's like no matter what, <laughs> we're not naming names. I mean, we're not naming names, of course. Here, we're not gonna, you know, TJ Perkins, but we're not gonna like call anybody out or anything. We're just gonna you know, generally, you're saying in general, NBA fans. Yeah, in in general, NBA fans, not necessarily Puma. 
but just necess- just <laughs> NBA fan discourse in general is is usually very bad, even if it's not Pinoy Boy. It could be anyone that's talking about the NBA. But the point here is any sort of um, discussion group online. Does do any of them have a? Have you ever heard anyone say, "Boy, the online conversation about insert my hobby here"? It is just the best. It, it is. It is <laughs> right. Fan- Everybody nails it. Everybody gets it. Everyone's respectful, and it's just a great time. I love getting on there and yucking it up, and my God, it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to spend my free time. I get all Not the really information now. I need. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Star Wars discourse online is just the best. It's, it's, it's polite. It's respectful. Everyone's <laughs> agreeable. Which, it's, <laughs> given, the, given, I don't know, have you been following that at all? Like, half the cast of Star Wars has like deleted all their social media. Yeah. It's just an absolute disaster. That's my point. It doesn't matter what you're talking about online. So it's like when people say things like that, oh, online discourse for whatever is so hard. Well, that goes for everything. You think it's just, it, it, it's not just, you know, it's not just that wrestling fans are animals that can't get along. It's, it's fans of anything. I mean, realistically. And honestly, I got to tell you, I, I will be completely honest with you. There are, I don't know, four or five things I follow very closely and discuss, quote-unquote, online. Wrestling, obviously, is one of them. Baseball is obviously one of them. College basketball is another. Uh, You know I'm a big uh, fan of uh, television. Television shows are another. I have alternate Twitter accounts that none of you people will ever know where I can just exist in peace and talk about, you know, some of these other things that, you know, but, but... Wrestling honestly ranks pretty high on the list of where the discourse isn't actually that bad compared to some of these other things. I mean, it, it, it's, it's you know, so, I mean, I think all of them are bad. You're never going to find, you know, a, a topic of interest where people aren't terrible to each other. So I don't really know if, if, if it's even worth saying the discourse about blank is horrible because it's all horrible. Right, right, right. And another thing, too, that I always kind of find interesting when, when people do this, and we talk about it all the time, where people live in their own little bubbles or whatnot. Like, if we are in any way representative of the overall wrestling culture, we are a blip on the wrestling discourse, the universe of wrestling discourse. You know what I mean? Like, we, yeah. I always when I, my blood boils when I hear the term wrestling Twitter. And wrestling yeah. Twitter refers to, like, our little group of people. And, yeah, it's a big group. And, yeah, we have some inner workings in different companies and across the world and all that sort of stuff and whatnot. So it's a big bubble, I'd say, that our, our you know respective bubble is. But there are people that have never heard of us, that will never hear of us, that we'll never run into. We talk about the voice of wrestling, the, the one that's on Fight TV now. It's Chris Cash, and I forget the other dude's name or whatever. Yes. It was we, were, we literally existed for, like, two and a half years before they realized that we had a similar name to them. Yeah. And they're like a pretty, you know, a, a semi-big deal. It was, we did, our two pads did not cross for two and a half years. Yeah. For And, and like, so when I, the idea that, like, when you globalize, ah, these guys, these guys are ruining X, or they're ruining, no, no. <laughs> you can just, it's, it's just this weird bubble that we sort of create, and we assume that this is all, the whole world revolves around this bubble. The whole world exists inside this bubble, and, and we're nothing. So to, to globalize it to, they have destroyed wrestling discourse, and they created hot takes. Imagine us creating hot takes. Us? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's laughable, but uh, you know what? Hey, whatever. It's, I'll, I'll take it. I just wish we could have monetized it a little bit more, because I, I would definitely be able to buy a boat on uh, creating hot take wrestling discourse, but I didn't, you know, I'm gonna pat, I didn't know you could monetize listen, it. Listen, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit. If anything, I think we enhanced the discourse, at least in our corner of the wrestling universe. 
um, I, I think we bring something to the table and, and, and we've started conversations. Um, I think what people confuse is, you know, it's like, look, I know there's people who disagree with almost everything we say, but that's fine. Why can't people disagree with each other without labeling the person they disagree with? Oh, they're horrible. They're, they're the worst. They're fucking shitheads. They're pieces of shit. Like, why does it have to... See, that's that's the part I don't understand. Why does it have to get so nasty? Just, just you can unfollow, you can mute, and you can block. You can eliminate anyone you want. You know what I mean? From your little corner of wrestling Twitter. You you can eliminate them forever. If you never want to see a Voices of Wrestling tweet, there are ways to do that. Oh, it's quite easy. It's very easy, in fact. Yeah, if I don't want to see, you know, uh, someone's... I, I can, you know, we can run off the list. And now we never see them. You know, it can, it can be done. So I, I that part I don't quite understand. If you really think someone is so heinous and so terrible, it's, at least on that medium, you can eliminate them. And then if you, you know, never visit our URL or never click play on this show, you never have to deal with Joe Lanza or Rich Krejci again. Yeah, you know, it's not that difficult. But, uh, like, they love click and play, though, Joe. Which oh, I'm they glad all they do. do. They I'm all, glad they love click they and all play. Click play. I, I enjoy and, that they think we suck and we're the worst and they hate us, but man, oh, man, every Thursday they are clicking away every Friday morning. Click, click, click. They fucking love it. I, so, I, hey, I, you know. I noted this last week. I noted this last week. <laughs> you post a show, I don't know, when, when you put like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning usually? Yeah, you know, it'll be about 9 or 10 a.m. usually on a Friday if we record on a Thursday. Today we're recording on a Wednesday, so it'll be Thursday, yeah, 9, 10 a.m. It's funny. I always, you know, I, I see when you post it, and about two and a half or three hours after you've posted it, I go scanning Twitter for the subtweets, and the first people to start tweeting about our show are the people who hate us the most. Rich, is that false? No, it's not. No, they're, the, it's, they're, they're number one. The, the people who <laughs> tweet there. about this show first, before, like, it can have a three-hour runtime. Two hours and 15 minutes after Rich puts it up, they're already tweeting about it, and it's always the people who hate us. It's, it's never the people who like the show or get along with us or people who consider themselves fans of the show. The people who... who cannot wait to consume this show and listen to it first and finish the whole fucking thing are the people who claim we're the worst people in the universe and have ruined wrestling discourse forever and it's it's like clockwork i'm not going to do it rich but i can name the same half dozen people every <laughs> week who are, who are who are not necessarily subtweeting but just tweeting about tweeting about the show what the every all the fucking dumb shit that we said this week and it, and, and it's the people who hate it the most so you're absolutely right they still click play. They'll never stop click and play. And that's really all that matters. And I know that they're listening right now to what I'm saying. right? And they're going to be the first ones tomorrow morning. And they know it's them, to, too. You know? And they that's know the it's them. Part. They know it's them. <laughs> but they can't stop. They won't stop. You know? They're like P. Diddy. I don't want How's them to stop. Reference? I don't want them to stop. No. Yeah, that's great. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> Way to knock it out of the park there with that 15-year-old hip-hop reference, Joe. Nice. So this is an ad-free show this week. Uh, we are doing this. It is ad free. We're doing this for free. I think everybody listening should subscribe to the Patreon. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. Why don't you give them the URL? I don't fucking know the URL. It's uh, no, Joe. You don't have to be nervous anymore. I made it the one you screwed up with. I made it that one too. Oh, so it's Patreon.com/slash Voices of Wrestling. You finally get that one right. That's the that's the that's the actual one, and you got that one wrong for months. And then I made it VoicesWrestling.com/slash Patreon, and then you go to the Patreon one. So they both work. 
Yes! Because <laughs> you kept getting the one wrong, so I eventually just made it voicewrestling.com slash Patreon. Yeah. But now you go to the Patreon.com slash voicewrestling. But what I said was valid. It, it was not wrong. Yes, I made it very wrong-proof. I made it, I, I lands-approved the URL, so you are indeed correct. Voicewrestling.com slash Patreon or Patreon.com uh, slash voicewrestling there. A lot of good stuff going on there. Your TV reviews uh, are up there. I did a solo Q&A over the weekend. It was raining and I was bored, so I did a solo Q&A. That was a lot of fun. That was actually pretty interesting. Uh, some pretty fun questions that came up there as well. Some things that I think we'll touch on uh, throughout uh, this show as well. But yeah, a lot of good stuff on there. Hopefully some uh, stuff popping up over the next few days as well. Of course, the overrun. If we ever go overtime on one of these shows, we will move it over to the overrun. So good stuff there. Voicewrestling.com slash Patreon or, of course, it's just at Patreon.com slash voices of wrestling all right joe let's get into this there's only one way to start this week's show i think like, i agree and, rich and we're, should, we got WWE I, stuff coming I, I agree up, and but. i'm gonna cut i'm gonna cut you off and i agree should new japan book women <laughs> right joe here we go all right so your clock's ready two hours let's discuss it uh joe i'm just i'm not even gonna answer your question i'm gonna say why don't they and i want you to answer that joe why don't they book women i have no idea why they don't book women um but I mean, you know, the the thing about it is, I think um, the the this why is this debate popping up every two weeks? That's number one. Um, yeah, that's really the part that 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 you know, I, I get it if it's like you know, once every year we want to dust it off, or a certain time we want to dust it off. But it has now over the last three months been every two weeks, sometimes on a weekly basis. The ah, oh, why don't they book women <laughs> discussion? And and everybody, a lot of people, particularly people that enjoy. Japanese women's wrestling, the Joshi, those ones are always front and center, giving all of these ideas. The people that we really respect, the people that we really follow, that that know the scene, all give these like excruciatingly long details of why why it's justifiable, why maybe it's not a good idea, why this, why this, why this, and then it just comes back with, yeah, but why don't they? Or oh, they should. It's still it's 2018, and it's just the dumbest. It, it's bang your head against the wall dumb this argument because it's like one side gives their arguments the other side says i don't care i can't believe they don't do this or why don't they do this and it's just like what are we doing why are we doing this i'm not and we do it every two weeks here's the every, thing i like clockwork the same people same sides same yeah. tribalism every single time i it's like i don't see many hardcore joshi fans who want that um and i think they should be listened to before anybody else honestly because it's going to affect their corner of fandom more than anybody else and I don't I, I just I, I don't know if your perspective is different but I don't see many hardcore Joshi fans who follow all of the Joshi promotions and whatnot they don't seem to want that they don't seem to be into the idea of New Japan booking women because I think they feel like it would hurt their scene um, and, and I mean eventually I mean it would hurt their scene there's no question it would hurt, hurt the Joshi scene um, my whole stance on it is Rich I I couldn't give a single fuck whether New Japan books women. If, they, if New Japan started booking women on the next tour, I wouldn't care and I would watch the matches. If New Japan never booked a women's match until the day I died, I wouldn't care. I, I am so indifferent on it. Um, if they book women, great. Fine. It's okay. We'll, we'll break down the matches like we break down all the other matches. And, you know, if they don't book women, fine. That's the, the business model they choose. That's what they've done since the beginning of time. I have no problem with that either. Um, but this idea, the, the only thing that bothers me about it, so so anyway, I'm not passionate about it from that perspective at all. Either way, I don't I don't care. Um, but what what does bother me is the idea that New Japan is obligated 
to book women either from yeah they have to they have to right either from you know like a moral standpoint or like one argument I keep seeing which I just shake my head and I don't even bother arguing it's just this argument that I see that runs along the lines of well the Joshi promotions are down right now none of them are you know doing any kind of real business especially compared to the glory days of Joshi um, so the women who work Joshi don't get an opportunity to work the Tokyo Dome. They don't get an opportunity to work on big shows. And while all of that is true, my response to that is, why is that New Japan's problem? Like, wh- why is New Japan responsible for propping up Joshi? Um, it, they're not. New Japan's responsible for their own business. Um, you know, it, it's like, so that argument just completely falls flat for me to the point we're quite honestly, Rich, I don't even think it's worthy of debate. It's just a silly argument. I don't understand. Well, well, New Japan should do stardom shows on, on, their, on their big shows. They should do a stardom match uh, offer. Why? Why is that New Japan's problem? Now, if New Japan did that, if New Japan did like a stardom offer match on the Tokyo Dome show, I, I, that fine. It wouldn't bother me. But I don't think New Japan is in any way obligated to do that. And some people have made the argument that you know, well, you know, New Japan needs to give these women the opportunity to work on big shows and make big. No, uh, it's 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 on stardom to grow their business and make sure that everybody involved in stardom. It's not New Japan's problem. I don't think New Japan. Uh, it, it, listen, this is the real world, and in the real world, that, that's not how businesses operate. Businesses don't have to help other businesses. I mean, I have no idea where where that sort of argument is 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 rooted in any sort of logic. What what? Why is it advantageous for New Japan to help stardom? Let's say, what? Why? What? What? What good does it do New Japan to throw stardom a bone here? Now, could they? Sure. Have we seen stuff like that in the past? Yeah. All right. But I don't, they're not obligated to do that. They have no uh, uh, moral or business obligation to any of the Joshi promotions. So that part of the argument does bother me. Um, but in terms of, if, if look, if someone says, hey, I think New Japan should book women because I would like to see women on New Japan shows, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, sure. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that argument. I won't argue with you. Um, that's fine. I have no problem with that stance. Where I run into a problem with it is where you're telling me that New Japan is obligated to one another because they're not. I mean, I, I don't think, and to extend it further, I don't think there's any wrestling promotion on earth that's obligated to book anybody. You want to book all men, book all men. You want to book all women, book all women. You want to book all intergender, book all intergender. Do whatever the fuck you want. The only obligation any wrestling promotion has is to book what they think is going to make them money. That's it. And any way that they think is the best way to do that is fine by me. I don't, I don't care what your gender breakdown is. It, it doesn't matter to me at all. So this, I, we can even extend this past New Japan. I, I don't, you know, it's, uh, you know, I saw somebody make a point similar to mine. Uh, that it's not New Japan's, uh, they're, they're not obligated to, to, to book women. Somebody took their tweet and they replaced the word New Japan with the word WWE sort of to try to make it look that th- the idea was that their tweet would look ugly or it would look contradictory. But I'm in full agreement. I, I would still agree. I don't think it's WWE's obligation to book uh, you know women or intergender or anything else. It's their obligation to book what they think is going to do the best business for them. So I don't know. If New Japan... Books women tomorrow, I couldn't care less. If they never book them ever, couldn't care less. That's where Joel Lanza stands. 
See, the thing that I always kind of come to with with this argument was pretty interesting about it too is that you know it to me it sort of ignores the fact that there was a time and it, it, it's not like as if men's promotions in Japan have have held women down and there's no way that women could succeed given the landscape because that's sort of the implication that oh they can't do Tokyo and they can't do this they can't do that because for uh, under some sort of pretense that the men have held them down or whatever which ignores and is completely ignorant to the 80s and 90s when. Joshi was fucking huge, and we're looking at some of the biggest stars in Japanese wrestling were women. Some of the biggest promotions in Japan in the 80s and 90s was All Japan Women's. Eventually, you know, uh, JP, JWP came up, and then uh, there was a bunch of other promotions that popped up there for a while. It was huge. It was gigantic, and then eventually it just stopped becoming gigantic. So some of the stars went away. They lost TV deals. There was too many splinter promotions, and eventually it just kind of went down from that standpoint. But to me, that's not because... Again, it's not nothing that the, any big company did. It's not because All Japan stifled them. It's not because New Japan stifled them. It's just sometimes it's business, and business went down for them. But there was two decades where Joshi business was fucking on fire. And in the 90s, it was uh, right up there with, with the men's promotions. It was just as big of a deal as those. So I, to me, it doesn't hold water when it's the idea that, like, well, they're not getting these opportunities because they... They're not getting the opportunities because they're not creating their own opportunity, and that's not. I'm not saying that 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 they're not doing enough, the wrestlers or whatever, but the companies. There's some you know parts that come to it. I mean, there's a lot of competition as well. I mean, we've seen you know you know Stardom have have their issues in, in the past, and they obviously lose stars, and they have lost stars in recent memory to, to WWE and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, it's not New Japan's obligation. I, I think that's the best word to to try to help the. Joshi become more prevalent in Japan. I mean, it's 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 up to Stardom. It's up to Tokyo Joshi, Joshi Pro. It's up to those companies to to get bigger. I mean, that's that's just it. It's not up to just as it wasn't up to New Japan to to resurrect All Japan. You know, it was up to fucking Junakiyama to to grab the bull by the horns and go. All right, look, let's get this shit on the road. Like Noah, it's not. New Japan's obligation, you know, was for a while when they had a financial stake, but right now it's not New Japan's obligation for Noah to go up. So there's you have no obligation other than to yourselves. You know, New Japan has no obligation to anybody but themselves and the wrestlers and the people that work for them or whatever. But I'm right with you. If they wanted to all of a sudden start booking and have a stardom, you know, showcase match, I'm fine with that. I don't care all that much. It doesn't bother me. But I don't, I, I again, like, the, they have to. They need to. I the, the fact that they're some backwoods, you know, thing because they don't book women in 2018 just completely... You know, that makes you ignorant to, to, to how Japanese wrestling has been structured for years and years and years, for better or for worse. Whether that's the right way to do it, whether it's the wrong way, whatever you want to say, it's just the way things are done there. And honestly, as we said, we talked to the Joshi fans, and, and they, all across the board, would rather just have their own little thing, because they think, and, and rightfully so, that if New Japan just signs a few of the top-tier stardom talents and throws them on the bottom of undercards or whatever, that you might get a situation like you have with Women of Honor right now, in Ring of Honor. It's like, great, Ring of Honor books women, but, I mean... Do they? Because they book them on pre-shows and they're on Facebook things and they don't matter and it's just kind of there and it's it's kind of lazy because some of those wrestlers would be doing good stuff around the indies or doing or are doing good stuff around the indies and then they come and they do kind of haphazard, low-card stuff on, on, on Ring of Honor and is it really a benefit? Is it really helping all that much? Or would it be better if stardom just goes on their own and, and, and continues to grow and, and maybe gets to the level that, that All Japan women were at some point or whatever. I think that's way more of, of something to look forward to. I think that's something that Joshi fans would rally behind versus, oh, goody, like, the opener is a bunch of stardom talent, you know, in a, in a six-minute, you know, six-man match or whatever. Because, honestly, that's what it's going to be. I mean, if we're being honest, they're not going to sign a bunch of talent and then have them semi-main event right off the bat. Maybe, it, maybe down the line it would happen, but for the time being, it would be lower card stuff it'd be you know just whatever and all you're doing is lopping off the top uh, top of an already kind of shallow talent pool so i i don't know yeah it's just when when i hear because i don't follow joshi all that much so it, it's not you know i, I i'm not 
and my ears into the ground of that as much. But when we hear the fans, the people that are really into that and what they say about it, and they are all across the board against it, I mean, that makes me believe that, okay, look, yeah, you have the, your, the people that actually watch the product are saying, no, 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 we're good. Keep it the way it is. We like the way it is. And then kind of people from the outside going, well, no, they should do this or they should... I'll be honest. It's great for retweets and likes. Let's be honest, right? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Joshi fans don't seem to want it. Um, from what I understand, talking to um, um, English speakers who live in Japan, the Japanese—it's not—it's a non-starter of an issue in Japan. Japanese fans uh, don't seem to care about it or, or want it or ever bring it up as a topic. And um, yeah, I, I do think a lot of it is a, a lot of the people who make the most noise about it are just—you know—people setting off the woke alarms. You know, and it's it's it's, and I mean that's again that's fine. I mean, but um, yeah, I, I do think there's an element of that. Is there some performative, uh, you know, uh, grandstanding going on? Yeah. Do I think that's everybody? No. I I think there's people who genuinely want to see women in New Japan, and again, I don't have a problem with that stance. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we we have no issue. I mean, I, I'm right with you on that. I don't I don't care. I don't care if you want to see women. I I, I get it. Yeah, you you want to see more diversity on the cards in terms of anything. If you want to see juniors pushed harder, you want to see some women on the card. I, I look, I can't. How can I argue with what you want to see? You know, and I, and I don't think there'd be anything inherently wrong with having women's matches on a New Japan card. So I have nothing against that stance. I mean, uh, but but the idea that it has to be done or it's it, because it's 2018 or i mean i don't buy into any of that for all the reasons i said before i'm not going to repeat myself and i do think some of it is performative yes to answer your question yes i do think some of it is uh you know there's some look at me going on when it comes to that but i i do think um you know it's not fair to to broad stroke that um uh, across everybody i think there are some people who who genuinely now now, let me ask you, I'll ask you too. Now, this wasn't even on our run sheet, and we spent way more time on it than I probably wanted to. I just wanted to, um, you know, uh, I didn't realize we were going to get this deep into it. But I'll, I'll propose you two scenarios that I think are actually not terrible ideas. Do you think it would be advantageous business-wise for New Japan to potentially start a female, an all-female offshoot promotion similar to what DDT has? Um, similar to what actually New Japan has, has tried in the past, but it never got very far. Uh, do you think that would be worth looking into um, as opposed to mixing the cards, just saying, hey, let's do our own women's promotion uh, sort of deal? Um, again, I think that might be bad for the current Joshi scene because, of course, they're going to cherry pick the best of the best like you alluded to earlier. But um, if New Japan really got behind it with how far ahead they are uh, over everybody else in Japan, maybe their Joshi promotion... Uh, could, could gain more traction than uh, than the than the current top Joji promotions have. Do you see what I'm saying? So do you think there's merit yeah, no, behind I, I an think, idea yeah. like that? I, I think absolutely. Yeah, if they, I, I honestly would. I'm, I'm surprised they actually don't, to be honest. But yeah, no, I would absolutely do that if I were them. I mean, that that seems like the best uh, the best of both worlds. You kind of create your own thing there, and then eventually, if you become something big and it becomes something successful, then you kind of open up the gates for okay, look, we built this, we've we've cultivated it. It's under our umbrella. Well, now we can, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom have one of these matches, you know, in the middle or whatever. I think that would be. If if I was doing it, exactly what I would do is do that. But again, like I don't know if Georgia fans really want that either, because like you said, you're lopping off a lot of the top talent and sending them, you know, elsewhere when there are promotions that are probably better at doing it than than, than New Japan is right now. But no, I, if I were them, I would absolutely do that. I don't I don't see a big downside to that really. If I'm New Japan and I'm thinking about uh, booking women's matches, that's how I do it. I do a separate promotion under the same umbrella and I cross promote them. 
Reason being, I think you can get the wrestlers over faster that way. I think you can get the wrestlers over faster when they're on their own events and their own self-contained storylines and they're working their own main events rather than fighting for scraps at the bottom of a card. Because you can't introduce women's matches and immediately push them hard. Fans are going to reject it. You've got to get people over first. And I think it's, it would be easier uh, to get your new talent that you've acquired over if they're on their own shows. And plus, that's, right, and, and plus it, it, it feeds into the way that things have been done in Japan in, in terms of wrestling um, you know, since, since the beginning of time you know, with, the, with uh, male promotions and female promotions. So I would do it that way. The, the other question I want – now, would I do it? I don't think I'd do it right now. And the reason I'd say no is Joshi isn't exactly on fire right now. Okay? It's at a down point in its history. You talked about it already. There's been points in history where Joshi has been huge, and you could and you could have made an argument that you know the biggest promotion in Japan at one point was a women's promotion. Um, you know, so right now Joshi, like all of Japanese wrestling, with the exception of New Japan and Dragon Gate, which is in their own lane, is down right now. So if I'm New Japan, if I'm if I'm Harold May, okay, why am I in a hurry to start up a Joshi promotion when the other Joshi promotions aren't exactly blowing doors off? Okay, I, I don't necessarily think it's a good business decision right now. Um, but if I did want to go down that road, that's how I would do it. The other question I want to pose to you, and I saw this brought up by some people like uh, Dylan Hales and some others. When, the, when New Japan comes to the United States, okay, I, you know, some people understand the landscape in Japan and understand, you know, but in the United States, the landscape is different. We do have mixed shows here. So when New Japan comes to the United States, do you think it would be smart to book women's matches on the New Japan shows in the U.S. Yeah, I do. I do. I think that'd be a, a pretty good idea, just because there is a lot of talent. And now, for that that caveat, I, I did not see the exact tweet that, that you're mentioning. Was it booking Japanese Joshi talent when they come to America, or is it booking American didn't talent specify. when they come? The, the, didn't specify. At least with Dylan. Okay. At least, it, okay, I can tell you what Dylan said. Um, there were some others, but I specifically remember him. He had a whole, he had a whole thread of tweet. What he said was... Um, he was kind of staying out of the Japan side of it for the most part, but his thing was he thought it was, and I'm paraphrasing, and if he's listening to this, he can jump in and correct us on our message board or whatever, but um, his general idea was when New Japan comes to the United States, it would probably be a smart business move for them since American fans uh, like to have uh, women's wrestling on the shows, and American fans are used to having women's wrestling and, and mixed shows, essentially, that it would be smart for New Japan from a business sense to dip their toes in the water with women's wrestling here first, see how it goes, take it from there. Um, because these audiences, uh, look, you might sell a couple extra tickets, these audiences may respond to it a little better, and then, you know, maybe you see how the, uh, your, your native fans in Japan react to it, or if they decide, hey, we want that over here. So that was sort of his angle on it. Dip your toes okay. in yeah, the I mean, water guess... in the U.S. You... Yeah, I mean, it couldn't hurt, right? I mean, there's there's kind of no downside to that, right? Is there really a downside to, like, booking Diana Perazu or whatever? On it? Like, obviously, I know that she signed or whatever. I'm just throwing a name out there. I mean, there's, I don't know. Is there really a big downside to it? Yeah, Tessa Blanchard, Blanchard type yeah, getting on there. Other than you're going to get a thousand uh, news articles about it. So, I mean, it's definitely advantageous to book Tessa Blanchard because, you know, 411 Mania is going to have, like, 15 different pieces about it when, when she's out there or whatever. But, yeah, no, I don't, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, could it really hurt? I mean, it wouldn't really hurt at any level. So, yeah, why not? I mean. Yeah. There, is there a downside to that? Is there is there any downside to just booking like a random woman's match with two American, you know, North American women? No, I don't. I don't. I don't, so, right? I don't see a downside other than your hardest of your hardcore New Japan fan maybe being annoyed or upset that it's a match that really isn't going to end up being part of canon because there's never going to be a follow up to it if you don't have the matches in Japan. 
and you know that's a very very minor issue to deal with. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, look if 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 Johnny Neckbeard wants to go to the Cal Palace and and you know fire out some annoyed tweets because Tessa Blanchard's working the opener, then you let him do it. I mean, who cares? You know what I mean? It's 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 so what? It'll disappear into the ether. And as long as Johnny Neckbeard is seeing you know Okada and Omega and Tanahashi later, he'll be fine. Okay, he's not going to not buy a ticket because Tessa Blanchard is, you know, uh, wrestling uh, Shotzi Blackheart in, in the opener. I mean, you know, let's be honest. So you don't worry about that. I don't think it's a major concern. But here's the thing. Here's the bottom line, no matter what way we approach this. New Japan may not give a fuck uh, what anybody thinks about this, and they may just never do this. And I don't think there's any amount of online griping that, you know, um, especially from Western fans, that online griping that Western fans could do that is ever going to change their mind on that. Um, I, I don't know if you necessarily agree with that, but um, you know, that's the way I see it. If, if they're going to stick to tradition and, and, and not do that, they're just not going to do it, and they're not going to care that once a month, uh, because Dave Meltzer quote tweets the wrong person, that this argument crops up for two days. Because I, I see New Japan as very... Uh, set in their ways and stubborn for better and worse, and 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 I don't think that they're ever going to be influenced by the quote unquote online mobs. Which, by the way, we're you know, th- which I think everybody overrates, including us, because we just spent a half hour on this for essentially an online mob complaining for two days that New Japan doesn't book women. But I do think that all online mobs are generally uh, overrated, and and I I, I think um, uh, New Japan especially. If, you know, they, they're half a world away, and they don't even—they probably not even aware this shit's going on. So. Yeah, they, they have no clue. They don't—they don't have a clue, and they don't care. And and I'm with you. I I don't know that they're ever going to change. I mean, they might. I don't know. But I mean, there's no indication right now that they they are responding to this or looking at this or or, or, or care on any level. So I don't know. I, I think they're just going to keep doing exactly what they've been doing for for years and years and years and years, and and, and not change. And I think for the most part, for again, for better force, I think traditional stand on that. And 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 yeah, I mean, I. Again, doesn't bother me, doesn't bother you, but yeah, I think people are, are kind of banging their head against the wall if they want things to change and if here, they need here, to change. I don't think anything thing. needs to change. I don't even think necessarily why doesn't anybody complain that All Japan or Noah or Dragon Gate doesn't book women's matches? I mean I understand the idea as I burp on air. I understand the idea Yeah, that was disgusting. I, yeah, God. I didn't even feel it coming, I would have muted. I, God. <laughs> I understand the idea you're gonna go after the industry leader. I get that. But where is the vitriol towards these other promotions? I mean, you know, if do you think that if hey look Noah's struggling, maybe if they thought man we need something to kickstart business, fuck it, let's start booking women's matches. Maybe that'll draw a new, maybe we can start drawing uh, women's wrestling fans to our shows. And then maybe Junakiyama said this is the next thing that we need. Let me do it. And then Dragon Gate, they're always outwardly, uh, you know, they think outside the box, and they just lost a big chunk of talent, and they started. If everyone else started doing it, do you think New Japan would feel some feet under their fire to say, hey, look, we better do this too? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're asking, or people are asking sort of the industry leader to innovate, and that's not usually how things go. It's usually, well, you know, the, I, the leader. It, no, I mean, sometimes. Like, in what's, what, 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 I think. What top company has innovated when they've had almost no direct competition? No, no, no. I, I agree with you. I think, I, look, but I think. There, there are certain look you could just look at wrestling I mean everyone copies WWE for instance so I think there are instances where you can say in wrestling that people follow it but I understand your point too 
your point is, look, I get it from both sides, but I didn't want to derail what you were going to say, so go ahead. That's right. Well, I'm just saying that they don't need to be the ones that take that initial risk. They can right. go, you know, wait and see, and if it's successful, no, then they go, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll steal that from you guys. We'll do that. You know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, yeah, if, if, if all Japan sees a business spike from it, they would absolutely start doing it. But, you know, for them, they're not, I, I don't know that. And, that. and that's not to say because they book, like, one random Joshi match on the undercard that the whole business is going to create or whatever. But from their standpoint, things are riding high, and it's like, why, you know, why bother with that change right now? I mean, maybe you're saying this is the perfect time to do it because they have the momentum, and now they can sort of add, you know, more eyes to the industry. And, and do this and do this and this, but but it's not really advantageous for them, and and it's a business, so right. I, you know I I get it, but yeah, I mean it's it's like you said, we're we're kind of like you're saying too, we you don't can, care, so you can let you can let the other guys guinea pig it, and if there's a cultural yeah, if they sink or swim, then yeah, then you let them do the sink or swim, and then you decide from there, right? I mean, if there's a cultural rejection of it because of the way things have been done for so long, and people just and the native Japanese fan says, look, we don't want this stuff on all the same. We like going to stardom on Tuesday night, and then we like going to Noah on, on Saturday night. Yeah, then you say, well, you know what? Fuck it. These guys got burned on this. We're not touching it. So, um, But I, I do think, too, from some of the Western fans complaining about it, that they, you know, they, maybe they just, they, they, maybe none of us have a full grip. Look, Maybe it wouldn't be that big a deal culturally in Japan, and maybe we're overrating that aspect too. I don't know. I'm not there. Um, you know, so maybe it is just a matter of somebody deciding, hey, look, let's do this. And then don't come at me with all Japan had two women's matches last year or DDT does it. Look, nobody's doing it. Okay, I, I, I don't want to hear about these, these fringe attempts or these, these – uh, look – no one is doing what WWE is doing, you know, on this side of the world in Japan in terms of full mixed cards. It's just at the bottom line. So, um, you know, but but maybe it wouldn't be the cultural rejection that everybody fears, or maybe it would. I'm not there. I don't have my finger on that pulse. So, anyway. Yeah, and I think what, what, one thing real quick, real quick, and then we'll get to actual topics. So we wanted to talk about the reaction on run sheets. But I think you mentioned something pretty interesting about the, the, sort of Japanese wrestling culture, too. And we sort of forget that, you know, from where we're at in, in America or whatever. Because for me... If I want to watch wrestling, like I have, you know, a few promotions that I can watch on a given basis. You know, every every weekend or so, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in in some ways I'm spoiled by being in Chicago because I have freelance, I have AEW, I have some offshoot companies that I can go check out as well. So I have that ability to almost, you know, maybe every other weekend or so go and see a random show or whatever. But we forget that in in in, in I don't know that we forget, but I think one of the fun things about uh, you know, Japanese wrestling culture that you mentioned is that on Tuesday I can go to stardom and I get my women's fix if I'm a women's wrestling fan. And then, you know, Wednesday I'm going to go to Wrestle One because I really like this guy. Or, you know, Saturday I'm going to go to this show because I have that. And, and you can do that. And there's stuff always running. And these towns are, are you know, if, especially if you live in a Tokyo or in a big city, like you have on a weekly basis dozens of wrestling shows, all with sort of different styles, different takes on the, on the sport that you can go and watch. So whatever you're a fan of, if you love big time, big move, Stuff like a New Japan main event style, you can go to Cork and Hall and watch them. If you like Deathmatch, you can watch that on the next night. If you like Joshi, that's for you the next night at the show. We don't have that luxury. You absolutely, I mean, I kind of have it, sort of, maybe a little bit in Chicago, where like two or three weekends out of a year, or two or three Saturdays out of the out of a month, I should say, I can go watch a, a wrestling show. Joe, how often can you watch wrestling shows? You get like once a month. Tops, right? In my, if that in, even in the town I live in, I mean, before, yeah, or like just in your general, just in twenty minutes, you know, yeah, radius well, I could, or whatever. Oh, yeah, I could tell you straight up until Lions Pride Sports by uh, Houston Carson started up late last year. I had no, there was no wrestling in my town for the last. Uh, there had there wasn't a wrestling show in my town in forty fucking years. But if you right. extend it out to Austin, yeah, like you're saying, it's a couple weekends. ACW runs one weekend, Inspire Pro runs one weekend, and Wrestle Circus runs the other weekend. 
and and that's you know and right. So we need all in one shows. Right. I need when I go to AEW if I'm a fan of 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 hardcore wrestling, if I'm a fan of big moves, if I'm a fan of high flying, if I'm a fan of women's wrestling, I kind of need all of that in one show. You and do. I get that AEW books women has a women's title has you know they main evented the show most recently. They have their high flying guys, your Trey Miguel's, your Martin Reeds, those guys, your DJZs and whatnot. They have your Pentagons. They have so they give you the all in one shows. In America, we're sort of used yes. to the the variety show, the smorgasbord or whatever wrestling, where it's like here's all these different things that we're going to give you. We're going to give you everything that you could possibly like in one show. You don't need that in Japan. You can have very specific things because if if fans are a fan of it, they'll go there. And if they like the other thing, they can the next day go do this or whatever and go watch that or whatever. So we kind of forget that that's a big part of that wrestling culture too is that the shows and the promotions all have sort of a, a feel and that fans then can sort of choose from that standpoint. It would be – you would never – I mean it, it, very rarely in America do you ever – go to a promotion and the promotion is just this you know shimmer is one of the rarities you know and that's why they're such a big deal so people travel all around the country and across the fucking world to come to shimmer shows because you know a few weekends out of the year in chicago all weekend three days there's women's shows women's 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 that's all it is that's a rarity that's the exception to the rule the rule is usually variety shows the show the 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 rule that we sort of realize in america is the kind of all-in-one everything wrestling show and they don't do that in Japan because they don't need to. Well, maybe the Japanese fans don't want the buffet. You know, it's it's. Has anyone considered the Japanese fans and all this? No, who will be affected by it. <laughs> who do they care? They don't care, Joe. They you know, matter. maybe they don't want the buffet. Maybe they maybe they like that every promotion is very distinct. <laughs> you know, so uh, there's that to consider too. And I don't know necessarily that anyone's even thought about it or asked them. I did. You know, I went and asked some people that we're friends with that live there, and they're like, "This is never a topic." It's just like it's, it never comes up. So I don't know. But anyway, uh, let's get to the topics at hand. I know I cut you off as you were going to uh, set us off into Dominion, which has to lead off the show uh, as the Wrong. third. Running the, the bank. No, I'm joking, of course. As yeah, the course. third topic <laughs> here. I say it has to lead off. It's like our third topic. Um, but yeah, I guess we should start off the show proper um, with, with Dominion. I mean, this was, uh, this was a great show, top to bottom. There was nothing on this show that was less than good. Uh, big Big Show Lanza uh, dusted off the keyboard and wrote the review for this one on VoicesOfWrestling.com. So you'll never hear me plug anybody else's stuff, but I'm plugging my own. So uh, go read the Dominion review. You can get all of my star ratings, which I'm going to reveal here anyway, I guess. And uh, you get all my in-depth analysis of all the matches and all of my uh, wacky, um, uh, you know, off-topic uh, things that I get into when I review these shows, but uh, that's on the site now, and we're going to break it down for you now. I don't really know many of Rich's opinions other than the main event, which I did see him gush about, and I guess we should start right there with the main event. Um, there's no other place to start. Uh, you know, whether you love this match, whether you didn't like the match, whether you hated the match, no matter what you thought of this match, there's there's no question that it's now a legendary match. I think that that that, that is for sure. This is going to be, um, you know, going to go down as one of the most memorable and most legendary matches in the story of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think that's safe to say. Um, it was the culmination of the Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada story, at least for now. Uh, this four-match series has come to an end. I'm sure they will cross pads again, but it will not be part of this particular story. Uh, I can safely say that I think Rich would agree with that. And um, I think it, you know, it went a total of 110 minutes uh, with the three falls. So it went over 
it did. It, I'm sorry, it went under the 90 minute mark that we discussed last week. It went uh, just a shade under 70 minutes. It didn't feel long to me. Um, it, 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 I understand it was an hour and nine minutes, but um, the way that they laid out the story and the structure of the falls, which we can get into the nitty gritty of that in a second, um, it did not feel like a, a match that overstayed its welcome at all. I thought, um, you know, the match overall was 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 a length that I, I was never thinking, oh boy, when is this going to end? And I was never thinking, oh man, that was so short. And I think all, all that goes for all three falls as well. I think it was perfectly paced for the story they were telling. Um, and I think that the work was superlative. I thought Kazuchika Okada gave one of his best performances ever, which is, uh, which is a heavy statement because he's one of the best in the world. And let's be honest, Rich, I think it's safe to say now he's 30 years old. He's one of the best of all time. I don't think that's a we we've had that discussion several yeah, we don't, times. Yeah, we don't have to part. We don't have to sort of dance around that anymore. We can just fucking say it. He is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had that discussion a few times, and it's always come down to well, you know, he's building a resume and he's getting close, but he's got a lot to go. He's got a lot in front of him. I, I think he's built enough of a resume now, especially with this title reign, which which undoubtedly is one of the great title reigns of, uh, in modern pro wrestling history. Um, and, and between the Tanahashi and Omega series of matches, which are both now uh, legendary series of matches, um, that you know it, 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 that it's safe to say that Kazuchika Okada is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Um, I, I am comfortable saying that now. I, I don't know if I was comfortable saying that previous. And it's funny because we're going to talk about another match where I'm also now comfortable putting someone over to that degree. But we'll, but 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 we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so you have Okada, and, and I really thought this was one of his better performances because I thought. A lot of his uh, um, uh, mannerisms, facial expressions, things of that matter, things that people used to rip him for, which I never agreed with, by the way, um, uh, were just so great here. And his work is always just right on point, especially when he has great chemistry with someone like he does with Omega. On the other side, I don't want to talk too much about Okada because, you know, we talk about Okada a lot. This was, you know, this is Kenny Omega's story, and this was Kenny Omega's uh, match, and uh, he was fucking fantastic as well, particularly in the third fall. And, um, and, and this wasn't just a title change. This wasn't just the end of a legendary title reign. I think the way they laid the match out, and in particular the way that the, the third fall played out, these two guys really uh, uh, did a tremendous job of making it super memorable and, and making sure that, look, Omega simply scoring that third fall would have been enough. But they really made sure that this was going to become an iconic match, which I believe that it will. Yeah, I think, you know, again, I gushed about it. I went easy five stars when it was done. And one thing that I loved about this is that I, and I know you watched it Unspoiled too, I had an opportunity to wake up early and maybe kind of watch it in a little bit of a daze or whatever. Because I got, you know, my wife wakes up for work pretty early. So she got up and I said, hey, wake me up before you leave. So I want to watch the, the match or whatever. And, and, and I kind of got ready to start watching it. And then I said, you know what? It's going to be better if I if I kind of wait a little bit. If I watch it while I'm fully clear in mind, I was going to a buddy's house to watch it. They were going to watch Unspoiled. I said, hey, I'll, I'll watch most of it Unspoiled but I got to watch this Omega Okada when it, you know, live cuz I or, or you know when it when it airs, you know, for the first time cuz you know, I I can't possibly stay away from it for a while. And it was kind of a blessing that you said you wanted to do the review because when you said that, then there was no pressure for me to want to get the review up right away cuz you said, "Hey, look, I'm going to probably get it done in a few days. I'm not going to have it ready the first day or whatever. It's going to take a little while." And that was the best thing that happened to me because then what I did, Joe, is I I woke up and I said, "You know what? No, I'm going to wait to watch it with my friends. I'm going to wait to watch it when I'm clear of mind, when I can really focus, when I'm not sort of tired, when I'm not 
you know, sipping coffee or whatever when I'm ready to go. So I did. I, I stayed spoiler free until like 2 p.m. that day. I did, I did not watch it until oh shit, the match didn't even end until like six. So I, I, I stayed spoiler free almost till six o'clock. Which, by the way, and I, and I know you probably deal with this too. Like, have you ever been staying away from your phone for like six hours in 2018 is like the hardest thing in the world. I was so curious what was going on in the world. Emergencies were running through my head. I was like, oh, I'm surely you know someone has died in my family. Surely somebody had like it never happens. There's never an emergency. There's never any need for me. But but when you don't have your phone, you're assuming that everything is going on. The world's burning. And occasionally I'd look and like make sure. But then my friends were sending me stuff about this match. So then I just had to get rid of the phone altogether for like six hours. It is so ungodly difficult to stay offline for like it was bad enough for four hours. Then I had to do it for like six or seven. It was torture to stay away. I think for that we long. I think we watched the match within an hour of each other because you fired. Yeah, oh, we tweeted it. We tweeted within yeah. a second or so. I think of yeah. each other. It was like nuts how we both fired it up. It maybe the exact. Yeah, you thing fired time. off your tweet right before mine, but yeah, there were a couple instances that day. I watched it on Saturday, late Saturday afternoon, right when you watched it, and there were a couple. Inst- yeah, I, I started at maybe one p.m. I think one p.m. I started one or two p.m. I, we fired it up at, at my buddy's house. Yeah, and um, there were a couple instances where I just compulsively went, picked up my phone, and and clicked the Twitter app just because that's what I do. And then I went, no, 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 like. And, and, and I got Brittany going, what the hell's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, I accidentally quit Twitter. <laughs> no. And I'm like hitting back on my phone and turning my phone up. Right. I, Just throw it in a river. Get out of here. I must have like, did that four times before I started the show because I wanted to watch the yeah. whole thing unspoiled. So, yeah, I totally get it. It's funny how we're just conditioned when yeah. for any free – we're not – you know what? As humans now, we're not allowed to have a moment where our minds are not occupied on something. If there's a blank... By the way, I checked my phone as you were making that rant right there. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm like, if, if, if there's, I just did. And why? There was nothing. There's I did nothing. no reason to do I it. I opened it. I clicked two things. I didn't even read what I clicked. And then I closed it. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? If there's any blank moment in our consciousness, we compulsively <laughs> click an app on our phone. And it's disgusting. And it must stop. Yeah. But it's only going to get worse. But yeah, I totally am with you. I did the same thing. And I almost accidentally <laughs> spoiled myself about 19 times. Well, I, I did. Cause, so what I did is... Like I was, I, I have my phone at one point, and I clicked Instagram because I'm like, oh, this will be safe. Like nobody, and it was, it was like my work Instagram. You know what I mean? I was like looking through to just see if there was anything going on at my work, and all of a sudden, a fucking, you know, some random picture. It was a video from New Japan showed up on my feed, maybe because like they sent me an ad or whatever because they know that I'm a, a, a fan or I don't know what it was. And it was Kenny Omega like throwing a V trigger. I don't know what. I didn't know, remember the situation. I just saw Kenny Omega's knee and Okada's head, and I must have. I threw my phone to like get away from it as quick as possible because I was just hoping it didn't show anything else like I was uh, I knew at some point he was gonna hit a rainmaker on somebody but I didn't want to know what that was I just saw a v-trigger or whatever and I just threw it away and just went oh my god not even Instagram is safe so I just then decided I can't touch my phone the rest of the day I'm just gonna leave it in the car I'm gonna leave it far away or whatever but it's funny how yeah like all those times I kept telling myself not to click it and I would do something small and I almost got spoiled but anyway that's besides the point but I'm glad I did because it made that match that much better and 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 we came out on this show last week and and kind of talked about and I talked about how I was casually optimistic about the or, or or, or, yeah, about the you know the, the the time limit that I was worried they were going to go a little too long, and I was worried about the falls. Well, when it was done, they nailed the falls. I thought, and we'll get to that here in a second. I think they nailed the time limit too. It was as you said, just long enough where the no time limit seemed like it mattered, but not long enough where you just went, oh my god, okay, enough already. Let's go home with it. But then they also didn't go too short. 
as in to not to make the time limit still mean something. So when you knew that the ninety minutes had passed, it was like oh shit, or the, the sixty minutes had passed that you were like oh shit, they've gone over. Okay, here we go. Now it's go time or whatever. But again, like they didn't end it at forty five, where you would have said oh geez, well why they have the no time limit? They didn't even need that. They could have done this without that. And it wasn't like one twenty, and you're like all right guys, let's 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 reel this thing in. We got it. You went over sixty. Okay, cool. Or even the ninety minutes, it was like almost perfect the amount of time they went over the sixty minutes to really get the tension up. Because when that sixty minutes hit, and we all kind of noticed oh shit they already went over an hour then it was like go time and those last you know whatever minutes were in ring i think maybe five minutes or so was like okay this really matters now they've went over now let's kind of focus or whatever but when we go to those first 60 minutes like we we talked about even in the dominion match last year when you knew that they were going to a time limit you could kind of sense it you kind of you knew okay they're gonna kind of stall a little bit and those guys they went balls to the wall for the most part but you still kind of felt even when that match began, okay, this thing is going 60. You talk about it all the time. When the best 60-minute matches, the best you know draws or whatever, you kind of feel it. Almost in the first five or ten minutes, you go, ah, geez, these guys are going 60. I think in that way, the, the two out of three falls was kind of masterful. And now I sort of realize that, yes, you kind of knew they were going 60. That was an inevitability. But the, because you had the fall structure, because you had that little bit of break between the falls, it really broke it up and it really made all that time go by so much quicker. And I think they did the exact right thing by having Okada win the first one and get it in your head. Oh, shit, Okada might just sweep this. I mean, Okada's been on a next-level run. Why wouldn't he just win this in two? Why wouldn't he just sweep Omega? I mean, you knew that Omega was going to put up a fight, but you could justify in your head. And, and even discussing with my friends, we were like, you know what? They, they said, well, is, is Okada going to go 2-0? And I said, well, I don't think so. He wins the first fall. You know, not re- not easy, but he wins it, you know, with, with I, I don't know, a relative breeze. I mean, it looks like, you know, there's a little bit of a struggle, but he wins it. And... I'm thinking, you know what? I wouldn't say so, but fuck, it's Okada in 2018. Like, yeah, he might just win it in two falls. He might just sweep this, and Omega's got to go to the, you know, come back and try to figure out what he's going to do or whatever. So I thought that standpoint was awesome. And, and the second fall we said on its own, like, if you just took the second fall as a match, like, that match might, might alone. Like, what would you give that match ratings wise if you just did the second fall? I, I talked about this in my review. I thought the first fall by itself was like a four and a quarter star match. Um, that's just, just the first fall. And like you said, it was kind of like, um, you know, Okada goes for the Rainmaker. Kenny has the answer. He, re- he counters it with a sunset flip, and Okada just sits straight down and pins him. And Kenny knew that he got outsmarted. He didn't get beat up. He didn't get out-wrestled. He got outsmarted in that first fall. But, that was like an old Bret Hart thing. I love that. Yeah. that that's because he would always do those little things where, like, you would counter his move, and then he would just come with some some basic, basic, basic counter, but that kind of gets you because you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, jeez. Yeah. You could just roll me up into a sl- – I didn't even think of that. Okay, yeah, duh, you, you beat me. And the second fall – I mean, what the second fall was, there were three distinct stories here. The second fall was all of the callbacks. I mean, they even did a callback of the first fall where Okada tried to repeat that finish, but, yeah. but, but, mm-hmm. Kenny, but Kenny was too slick. But then they also repeated the finishes from their previous three matches. They repeated closing sequences from those three matches. They repeated false finishes from those three matches. If, if you're someone who really pays attention to the granular stuff in, in, in New Japan, and in particular this series, you were just fed so many callbacks and so much match-to-match layered psychology in that second fall. That second fall was just packed with that stuff. The second fall was basically an extended version of one of their tremendous closing sequences, but it was all of their closing sequences packed into one. It was just brilliant stuff. So, yeah. The, 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 and then, of course, the third fall, which I'm sure you're about to talk about, was just both guys with no gas left in the tank. Kenny going for the, the flash cover because... 
uh, Okada was still dead behind the eyes from the one winged angel at the end of the second fall. And when he didn't, when he didn't score that quick fall like he wanted to, remember Gato tried to stall because he knew Okada was still dead on his feet. He wasn't even on his feet; he was just still dead on the ground. But when he didn't score that fall, then both guys were just it was a matter their, their gas tanks were empty. And and that third fall really the reason oh my I I couldn't believe how well that third fall was worked because they basically worked in slow motion on purpose because the idea was they were both just completely fucking exhausted. And they still managed to have an incredible third fall despite the fact that they were working at half speed on purpose. It was just it was just incredible until Kenny got, you know, the, the fighting spirit burst at the end to finally put him away. I mean, and that and, and the drama that they created was just it was you know, we talk about the drama in the Okada Tanahashi matches and, and those matches did have this was on that level, but it was a different kind of drama. Because you had the, all of this weight of Okada's tremendous title reign, and you had all of this weight of Kenny just could he finally, you know, he's come the closest. Could he finally be the guy to take this guy out? You had all of that added in, and it was just, just this, this, just collection, this, 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 just meeting of, of all of these different stories into one. And both men are dead on their feet, and you, and and they were really telling you the same story that they had told a million times before. Where you think Okada's dead, but he always pulls it out. And there were a couple moments in that third fall where you thought, oh, here we go again. He's gonna pull it out. Where he came out of nowhere with the rainmaker at the beginning of the fall when he came out of nowhere with the drop kick towards the end of the fall then he went into his closing sequence during the final seconds of the match but Kenny was able to to, to get off the the, the one winged angel but but he knew that wasn't enough so then he hit that beautiful V trigger where they got that beautiful shot and he knew that one and he wanted to kill him fucking dead so he hit another one winged angel and it was just it, it, the, the drama was just a different kind of drama next level it just it just and and Brilliant storytelling in all three falls. This was really three very distinct falls, which speaks to your point that that's why this match didn't feel so long. It was broken up by the falls, and although the falls were so different and 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 told a distinct story, and they all fed into the greater story. Bridge, this was just a beautiful masterpiece of a pro wrestling match. Yep, that's exactly how I described it. I said a fucking masterpiece. That's what I said. And the thing that I love, and you kind of brought it up a little bit there, is that you know your second fall was really your blitz fall. That's when everybody just emptied the tank. Rainmaker, tombstones, heavy rains, elbow drops, drop kicks. You know, Omega was throwing out the one winged angels. The 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 wrath. He did the underhook pile driver. The bunch of V triggers. I think the Styles Clash. Like you had everything in that second fall. And that's sort of the criticism of of, of big time New Japan main events is they kind of just blitz. They kind of move spam or whatever. But the third fall, like you said, they were in molasses. Because because those guys were exhausted, so everything meant a little bit more. They had done their spam. They had done all that stuff, and none of it was 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 enough. Kenny tried to do it. Kenny tried to do what he did at the G1, where, where he decided, hey, fuck, I only got 30 minutes. I'm going to destroy this guy as quick as I can. He tried it at the beginning of the third fall, and then when it didn't work, he was just like, shit, I got nothing left. I don't know if this guy's got anything left, but I'm fucked, because this is it for me. I, I gave him my best shot. I tried to pin him right away, because I don't know that I can make this happen for another 15 minutes or whatever, and that's what made that third fall so good. Like you're saying, every move, the weight of every single thing they did, every step was just so large. And and we have an article that's going to be up on the website by the time most of you guys read this. Andrew Rich goes through the last 60 minutes, or the last 60 seconds, I should say, uh, of this match. And, and he probably does a little bit better of a job than we are going to describe because he's got the visuals in there, which really do help. So definitely check this out. It's called 60 Perfect Seconds. I'm reading it right now. It's going to be posted up uh, tomorrow. But he brings up stuff that I didn't even notice all that much. The... 
and, and, and kind of the sequence here. So this is the last 60 seconds or whatever. So you have the Rainmaker, where Okada t- throws the Rainmaker. And again, like, still read the article, because I think Andrew adds a whole different level. Andrew's one of the best writers we have on the website, too. So definitely worth checking out. But Okada hits the Rainmaker, and he falls. And Omega kind of stumbles, but Omega, you know, last year he ducks. And that's how he gets out of it. This year, he takes it knowing that Okada's got nothing left. So Okada just collapses after taking the Rainmaker, which is awesome. Omega then decides, okay, I got it now. Puts him on his shoulder for the one wing Angel. He can't do it. He falls down. They both get into the ropes. And this is an awesome visual that I didn't even really remember. I don't know if you remember this as well. So you got that the famous Okada shot. Okada's like looking like dazed and confused or whatever as he's sitting on the ropes or whatever. It's been a, a pretty good gift. Well... Omega tries to lift himself up, too. Omega falls down, too, and they're both sort of in the ropes. And what's awesome, too, is that Omega, to get up, puts his hand on Okada's head and lifts himself up from that. And I never even noticed that, how cool that was. That Okada uses Omega, or Omega uses Okada's head to lift himself up, to get that leverage, to elevate himself. And then that's when he hits the ropes. And hits that awesome feature that we're talking about, where, where the yeah. you know it's his what kind of head snaps back into the camera, or whatever. But the visual of him using his head to get it up, I can't get up on my own, but I'm going to use you to get up. I'm going to use your limp body to elevate myself and to get this moment that I've been waiting for for years and years and years. I'm going to use you, the man that had all this stuff. I'm going to use your body to get my body up, and that's all he needed. That's That was all the window he needed to hit that awesome V-trigger. The, the crowd starts chanting for him, too. And again, like, Omega didn't jump up. He didn't stand up. It was, he took, you know, it took him a minute to get to his feet or whatever. And then when he gets there, he hits an amazing V-trigger, then hits the one-wing angel, and then it just nails it, too. It's just like those last 60 seconds. I, never, I did not really remember him using the head to get up, but that's so awesome. Like, you know what I mean? And we, and we say this all the time. Kenny Omega and, and, and Okada, too. I, I think we should always get credit to Okada, too, because he is this guy, too. He's a thinking, thinking man wrestler, too, similar to Hiroshi Tanahashi. But nothing that Kenny Omega does in a match is done without thought given to it. We say this all the time, but every visual you see, every time you see something and you go, ooh, I wonder if that was symbolic. It was, because that dude thinks about everything. Yeah. And that, those 60 seconds, everything was a symbol in that. You know what I mean? Like, everything mattered. Him using his head to get up. Him waiting just a second for the crowd to chant for him. And then bouncing off the ropes. All that stuff is Kenny thinking. Yeah. He never does anything without thinking a thousand times over of how to make it the perfect moment. And that's what made this match incredible. And Okada's the exact same way. We should give him credit, too. He's great at that sort of stuff, too. Uh, and, and, and maybe doesn't get enough credit for it. But I thought that was incredible. Another thing, too, that was really awesome. So when, when you finally finish it off... Omega, instead of going to the belt right away, so, so the ref hands him the belt, he touches it, but then he goes and embraces Ibushi and the Bucks. Yes. And I thought that was awesome. There was a gift going around, too, that, like, the, the title is obviously important to him, but he knows that because of his friends, that's why he got there. He got there because he realigned himself with Kota Ibushi. He got there because the Bucks helped him, you know, all those years, and they've had their ups and downs or whatever, but at the end of the day, they're still best buds or whatever. I mean, that, how, how cool is that visual, too? Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's what humans do, you know? That's what a human would do. A human would could be overcome by emotions and grab his friends and start crying in their shoulders until he holds up the title and does all his poses and fireworks go off or whatever. But of course he's going to be overcome by that moment. But I thought that was an awesome visual too. And again, it's thinking, there's, there's, there's a point in that. There's a, a symbolism in him not necessarily grabbing the title right away, but him going to his friends right away. The friends are more important than the title to him. Not that the title isn't. It obviously is, but his friends helping him get to that moment is something that he cherishes even more than the title, which is awesome. Look, this is why people have fallen in love with New Japan over the last five, six years. It's because you get matches like this that really are a payoff for all the time you invest in following the company and watching all the shows. 
when you finish watching a show like this, when you finish watching a match like this in particular, when you finish watching a match like this, I don't know. It's like you, you, you come away, you got a smile. It's like you watched a real satisfying movie. It's like you watched the conclusion, uh, the satisfying conclusion of a, of, of, a, of a television series that you liked that went, you know, six seasons and, and they wrapped it up perfectly. It, it, it just, it's, it, they, they, they always pay you off well and you feel satisfied when you're done. You always feel like they've told you a great story. And that's why people, you know, on top of all the great, look, you can get great, look, Rich, the best comparison, you can get great fucking wrestling in PWG, but they, there's no stories, okay? It's not just, the, it's not just you know, the great wrestling in New York. The wrestling is great in New Japan, but they tell you these stories that just suck you in, and they make you feel like you didn't, you're not wasting your time with this dumb hobby. And it gets you in the soul, you know, and it... it, it there's some heart behind it, and and you know it proves that it can be done. And um, you know it's it's it and, and matches like this, um, you know I guess the observer is going to come out as we speak. You know, I think Dave's going to break his scale again because for the first time ever, for the first time I think ever, I've seen Dave Meltzer talk about a match from his heart instead of just all of these moves that I saw. Dave is famous for just running down the moves. Read any of his match recaps. Uh, he always talks about the things that wrestlers did in the ring and all the mo- he, he This is the first match I can recall where Dave Meltzer, of all people, spoke about a match like from the heart. Right. You know, and, and, and it, it, that's really what this... This was just a, such a great story from so many angles. You know, the, the touch that you just talked about with, with the Bucks and Omega, with the Bucks and Abushi and, um, you know, Omega is, has finally reached the top of the mountain, that, you know, and, and, and this great Okada raid ends and their little self-contained story told within, you know, four matches and six falls finally comes to a conclusion. And man, it's just, it's just, it's gripping stuff. And, and, and the fact that these guys are such tremendous elite of the elite pro wrestlers that can have, matches of this caliber while telling these stories is just, we are really, we've said it before, it's like we are really in a special place in time with New Japan right now, and I hope people realize it, and I hope that, you know, they stop and they realize how special this is, because, you know, it, it could, you know, when this all ends, and it will, you don't know how long it's going to go, you don't know when you get it again, and you don't know where it's going to come from, but this really is a special place in time in pro wrestling, um, and, 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 and it's stories like this that do it. And, and, um, you know, it's, 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 I, I kind of, I do feel bad for people who don't appreciate it or it's not their cup of tea or they don't like it because they're really missing out. They're really missing yeah. out. It's, 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 it's the high, it, it's just, it's such great pro wrestling and it's, it and more than that, it's just such great storytelling and, and it, it, it makes following this dumb, hobby and sitting through awful indie shows and sitting through awful WWE shit all worth it when you watch stuff like this yeah and, and the makeup of the crowd that I, I, I saw this with was like two guys that are, are, are I won't semi-casual but they become a little bit more hardcore to New Japan as of late and then a guy who just watches WWE or whatever the guy who just watches WWE when it was over he went holy fuck that was incredible and I went yeah, yeah that's good stuff but the, the rest of us we were like we like cheered you know what I mean? when it was over we went yeah when Omega won I never do that in wrestling anymore you know I'm always thinking of okay how am I going to break this down or oh the review or what am I going to talk about on the, on, the, on the show this was not that I just got lost in it and when it was over I just went you know we all cheered 
And I was like, I never do that anymore. I don't do that for sports anymore. I just, you know, I've kind of gotten to this point in my life where I just watch stuff and, you know, I'm entertained by it or whatever, but I never openly root. I never go, yeah, you know, I never, but like you said, it gets you in that soul where you're just, you're, you're captivated. I wanted Omega to win. I was killing for him to win. And it wasn't that I was like, yeah, five-star match. It was like, yeah, he won. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's just such a cool thing to see. It's so awesome to, to, to have that. And yeah, like you said, it was a very satisfying ending. And that's one of the things that, that no matter what. And the good thing about it, too, is even if Okada went there and won that third fall, you would still feel the same way. You would still be satisfied. You would still feel like, ah, that was worth it. But Omega winning was just that much better given how the story was. So I think it was, it was done perfect. And yeah, I, I, shame on me for ever doubting that these two dudes could ever like you know, not nail this to the extent that they did. But man, this thing is just fucking incredible. Yeah, it was, it, it was, yeah, like you said, I, the tweet that I had immediately after was a masterpiece. And you said that again, it, it absolutely was that. And it's, it's one that I think is going to hold up remarkably well to, to time. Cause last year's dominion show, uh, I talked about how I watched that one around match of the year time. It just didn't hold up. I knew it was going 60 or whatever. I'm positive. If I watch this one again, and I haven't watched it yet, but, but I will probably pretty soon. I'm positive. When I watch this one again, it's going to hold up too to the end of the year. So yeah, this, and is, you, and, and this, this is easily my favorite for match of the year right now. Oh, yeah, me too. And this is this is the kind of match that you can put on, and you can notice all the nuance that you missed the first time around too. Uh, when you're not, you know, all, when your adrenaline's not up, and you're not, you know, and you already know when the falls are coming. Um, so there's there's that aspect of it too. I mean, um, you know, do I think it's the greatest wrestling match I've ever seen? I don't know. I and I, I haven't really thought about that. Um, I'm not prepared to say that. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't like kind of coming to that conclusion immediately after. Like, you know, let's talk in in six months, or let's talk again. You know, as we sort of let it simmer in a little bit, because I, I I hate that like yeah. immediate. Is this the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life ever? And it's like I I don't know. Like, you know, I, there's some matches that I think that, and then you know, three months later, I don't because something better came or whatever. So I don't know quite yet, but I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe in a few months or even at the end of the year, I'll be able to kind of rationalize that a little bit more. Maybe when I watch it again, I'll go, yeah, this this is. But no, it's 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 hard to in that moment be like, is this the greatest? Thing you've ever seen ever it's like well i mean yeah right now maybe but you know I, i'm not re- i'm not prepared to do that either i mean it didn't instantly give me that feeling but i think again i wasn't thinking about it i was just so wrapped up in, in what i just saw i mean look um i, I think that yeah. well i think that, like not, not to interrupt but i cared more about the story than how good the match was and that's that's sort of like and that's what I kind of meant when I was cheering at the end, because now when I watch wrestling, I'm always, okay, how good do I think this match is going to be? How am I going to talk about it on the, on the website? Like, what am I going to do? This one, it, it wasn't like that moment where I was, like, waiting to grade it and, and waiting to give it a rating. I was just, like, compelled by the story. And that made me give it that five star or whatever. But like you're saying, it's not one of those matches that the entire time I was thinking technically, oh, ooh, that was good. Okay, ooh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. It was just like I was enthralled by the story of the match more than anything. Yeah, I can tell you that, to, to me, the work in this match was flawless. Um, and I think that the work also all directly correspond to the story they were telling. This was the ev- easiest five stars I ever I ever gave out. Oh, I didn't even think about it. It was for two it was, yeah, it was just immediate. Yeah, it's just it was just it's just you you know when you're watching something that day, this was just the easiest five stars I ever gave out. So, um, and, and you're right. It's it's it, 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 I I kind of view it differently than I viewed other matches I've seen. It's just one of those special once or twice per decade matches that, um, and and it, they and lately they all come from New Japan. Um, that just they feel different than other great matches. They just they just feel different. Not necessarily above other great matches, but they just they just feel different. Like this this is just something that feels different than I don't know uh, Kevin Owens John Cena or something. Um, it feels different than Kento Miyahara versus Suji Ishikawa. Uh, it just it just feels different than other great matches. And 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 I don't know how it fits in in the grand scheme and I don't care. All I know is what mm-hmm. I saw was just uh, incredible storytelling and something that um, hit 
you know, an emotional cord the same way that other forms of entertainment do. And, and when you can get all that and great wrestling, uh, you're really on the sum. So, Rich, I think we liked that one. We did. We did like that match. Um, and I guess there's some other things to unpack with it in terms of where they go from here, but we're going to get to that when we talk about uh, the Cal Palace show and some of the uh, uh, whatever they're called. What are they calling the Euro, little European Rev Pro deal they're doing? Uh, Strong Style Evolved UK. Yeah, Strong so Style Evolved UK for the, the UK shows. We'll get into that sort of stuff, but uh, we're more than an hour into the show, and we didn't even, you know, barely broke the glass on, <laughs> on Dominion. So... Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking our Money in the Bank preview is going to be kind of short, but we'll see. Oh yeah, I have almost nothing to say about that. But um, yeah. So, oh, oh, I have. I have exactly nothing to say. So that'll be perfect. I, I think it's it's time that we just you know it's we give NXT the time it deserves and we give the main roster the time. They yeah. Deserve. No, I, I definitely. So I have a lot to talk about NXT and then WWE. I'm going to run down the matches and I. I don't know. I mean. I, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. when when people see maybe, my, maybe Kevin. O- when people yeah, read the preview, Kevin Owens. Yeah, when people <laughs> read know. my yeah, preview ahead. for that, they're gonna see exactly. What I did. There's just no point putting any time or effort into the fucking right. WWE main roster. But uh, so let's work our way down the card. Chris Jericho is the new IWGP Intercontinental Champion. Uh, he beat Tetsuya Naito. I had no idea what to expect here. Um, what we got was uh, a fucking street attack. This felt like Chris Jericho jumped Tetsuya Naito in the streets, and I thought this was awesome. I thought Jericho was fucking awesome. Um, it's it's incredible, but Chris Jericho might wrestle, I don't know, four or five matches this year, but I think he's a wrestler of the year contender or a fucking flair that's content, whatever award you want to talk about. This guy's right in the mix. Um, this was fucking great. Um, I, I loved everything. I loved the visuals of Tetsuya Naito getting beat up while half of his three-piece suit is still on his body. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I love that he's the tattered suit. He's like got like little bits of it left, and it's just like yeah, he's just bloody. His eyes all fucked up. He's just is a complete mess. And Jericho's a, a disaster because he's got weird face paint. But yeah, Naito, his hair's in a mess. His eyes bleeding. His his suit's ripped up. Like how awesome was that visual? He's bleeding from the eye. Then he was bleeding from the cheek, and um. I love yeah, we kept wondering. He was like, "How does he keep bleeding? Where is he bleeding from?" Like, what he's the fuck? Going through he? tables. It's it's and then, <laughs> right. and then Naito makes the valiant comeback, and he comes all the way back, and Jericho just punches him in the balls, gives him a code breaker, uh, and beats him, and uh, in total Chris Jericho fashion, um, not caring how he got the job done, just embarrassing the man. The whole theme of the match was to embarrass Tetsuya Naito, and he succeeded. And they have uh, very obviously set up a rematch. Uh, we don't know when uh, it's going or when or where it's going to happen. Um, but I'm all about that. Evil made that, you know, then the, the post-match attack where he, where he hits him with the belt, the title belt. Then he pulls off his leather pants belt and whips him with that. How great was Chris Jericho here? I mean, I, I oh my he's just, God, yeah. yeah. Next level great. Yeah, just incredible stuff from start to finish. I think his best singular performance that maybe I've ever seen of Chris Jericho, yeah. and that's that's saying a lot because I love the Omega match, but I thought that was, uh, you know, and that's not to take anything away from Naito. I think Naito was incredible in this match, but this was, in my mind, the singular best Chris Jericho performance I have ever seen. Yeah, and I mean, see, and it's like, um, the, the uh, you know, if you're not, a lot of people will say it was similar to the Omega match. I disagree. The Omega match was was straight plunder, and that's not what this was. This was Chris Jericho laying a beating on Tetsuya Naito, you know, and 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 it was it was a different kind of match, um, but with the same maybe violent visuals. But I don't think it was the same style of match. 
Chris Jericho has re- no because I think they were equals. They wrestled that match as equals, yes. doing kind of a plunder match. This one, which was interesting, was 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 literally the Alpha versus Naito, to who, who the Alpha thinks it might as well have just been a young lion to him. Right. Chris Jericho was out there to prove that you're who are you, who the fuck do you think you are? Right. I'm Chris Goddamn Jericho. You need to respect me. Yeah. And that's cool because it's Naito who's like a big deal. But Jericho goes in there and he's like, Nah, man, I'm the fucking veteran. I'm gonna whoop your ass. And that's what he did. He he whooped Naito's ass. It was not like the, Omega and, uh, and 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 the Alpha Omega one. That was equals. Yes. That was two men that just were out there to kind of fuck each other up and and play around with weapons or whatnot. Proof this was better. a beatdown. This was. This was a veteran saying, We're fucking, you're going to respect me when this match is over. I'm going to make you respect me. Yeah. The other match was two equals uh, trying to prove who's better. This was Chris Jericho wanting to embarrass Tetsuya Naito um, and succeeding as you know the first part of the story. And, um, and, and the thing about Chris Jericho now is he's not just reinventing himself every few years. He's reinventing himself with every match that he has now. Which, which is just, you know, because this was a very different, this was a deranged psychopath hell-bent on embarrassing Tetsuya Naito, which was very different than the Chris Jericho we saw against Kenny Omega. So, I don't know. I love this match. I thought this was fucking great. And when you combine it with the junior match before it, what a fucking three-match series to end what was an incredible show. But, uh, yeah, so what else did you think of Jericho Naito? I mean, that's about it. All I can say is I, I just I you went four and a half. I pro- I don't know if I would go that high. I had a real tough time rating this match, and I think it was just one that I like. It's one of those weird ones where I liked it more than I can rate it. Does yeah. that make any no, sense to you? Sense, like, I sure. loved it when it was over, but I was like, I don't even know how to rate that. Like, it was just a fucking war, and I I don't know. I had a real tough time, and I don't know if even today I can come up with a rating for it. It's just there was something unique about it. But man, you could not take your eyes off of it. And every camera shot of Naito was just another part of his body was weirdly bleeding. <laughs> like, half the match, we're like, where is he bleeding from? His eye socket? Who bleeds from their eye socket? What yeah. the fuck? Like, how, what's going on there? And, like, Jericho was a little sloppy at times or whatever. But I, I don't know. I didn't hate that he was. Like, I kind of thought it almost enhanced it. Because it, it, nothing felt natural in this match. Everything felt like there was a, a tug to it. Everything felt like there was that little tinge of realism or whatnot. It felt very much like not of a New Japan match of this era. You, you know, it yeah. felt like you had been transported into some different era uh, of New Japan. I, I don't know. I, I just really hard, had a hard time like describing this match. I just know I loved it when it was over, and I know I enjoyed it, and I can't wait to watch it again, but I had a real tough time saying, ah, this is my grade, or this is what I think about it, or whatever. It's I, I don't know. It was really hard to judge. That was, was like that uh, Lucha match we talked about last week. I can't even rate it. All I know is that I, li- I really liked it, and I, I, I thought it was incredible, uh, but I, I, it, it's hard to rate these dopey star ratings. You know, but you know, people want to see him. You know, so uh, so so you, so you rate the matches. But uh, but then we had the uh, junior title match: Hiromu Takahashi defeats Will Ospreay. Um, what's crazy about this is um, I went four and a half stars on this match, and I thought it was a great match, and it had me popping off my couch. And it may have been my least favorite Will Ospreay match of his title run, which is fucking wild to think about, because this was an incredible fucking match. Uh, borderline match of the year contender style of match, but I think uh, probably a peg short. Uh, but but just, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, easily the two best juniors in the world. And I think that's kind of insulting. I think two, they're two of the best wrestlers in the world, period. Um, and, and, you know, right off the bat, Will Ospreay, sprinting down the entrance ramp to do that <laughs> flip dive where he nearly killed himself. And, uh, and, and then, of course, uh, all of the great stuff from there... Um, you know, uh, uh, built around Hiromu trying to use the D triangle choke because he. Oh, that, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. That remember I said that there was that casual WWE fan who watched this yeah. match. 
He lost his mind at that. He could, he was talking about it for like 20 minutes later. He's like, oh my god, how did that guy, what did he even do? Oh, how did he even dives. do that? He, he, yeah, he lost his fucking mind at that. He just could not even handle what was going on there. It yeah. was just, you know what I mean? Like, it's awesome to watch it. Because like, you know, we sort of take it kind of, I guess, for granted. Like, it was still an incredible spot, but like, you know, there was 15 other things in this match that I was like, oh, that's awesome, that's awesome. But this guy, he would not let that out. He went, I, I can't believe that guy did that. I, I was hey, like, how do you even do that? Like, I it's awesome. You, it's so I don't, cool. I don't yeah. blame him. I, in my review, yeah, I called, so in my review, yeah. I called it the defining spot of the show yeah and this was after we i'll never forget that that spot i'll never forget it um so i really can't blame your friend i mean i was blown away by it and then you know <laughs> hiromu's trying to use the triangle because because will's got the bad neck uh hiromu's trying to get off whatever I, i'm sorry will's trying to get off whatever his new finisher is called i never remember the names of anything the d uh, no 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 uh will's, will's oh new finish, the, will's uh, new yeah, one. Oh yeah exactly. i don't know the name of that one um, <laughs> and, and and look it's it's um it was just a tremendous match. It was exactly what you would expect from these two. I actually think they have a better match in them. I think they've probably... Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. Right? Is that the yeah. Stormbreaker? Yeah. They actually have had better matches. I mean, I, and, and I went four and a half on this one. I, but, but I mean, look, other little touches. He went for the Stormbreaker in the first... After he did the flip dive, he moved the pads off of the floor. And he was going to give Hiromu the Stormbreaker on the exposed floor. But it was too early in the match. And he couldn't get Hiromu up. And he literally hand-waved it and said, Ah, let's just get back in the ring. And that ended up biting Will later because... He took the flip power bomb on that spot of the floor that he exposed. So there were lots of little touches like that in this match too. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. And um, they missed it by like a inch, and it kind of it sucked because I knew what they wanted to do. And it was funny is is we were watching and and I think when. When I, was, when I was watching, so I was watching my buddies or whatever, and they were they were saying, "Oh man, he almost hit the concrete." And I said, "No, Will wanted to hit the concrete." Like yeah. that's how dumb these two idiots are. Is that they were pissed that they hit the mat? The idea like, of I the know spot they was were to like, hit the "God, fucking yeah. damn it, damn it, we missed the mat." Like we God, we we hit the mats, so we didn't hit the concrete. Like I knew because they were, you know, my one buddy went, "Oh, thank God they didn't hit the concrete floor." And I'm like, "No, those dudes are probably seething that they didn't hit the concrete floor right now because they wanted that to be the spot." And I love how in like the stupid world of wrestling, hitting the mat would be like, "Ah, damn." It's like we set that off and fuck, we missed it. Like they were so upset that they missed the concrete. It's, it's yeah, incredible. And, and the one thing about these two guys that I want to note is that they just take such unique bumps that you know they can do things that we've seen a million times in a pro wrestling match or that they've done, but they make them feel unique because they both bump in a very distinct and unique way, and especially Osprey. Hiromu is just a maniac, and he's just willing to throw his body around. Will Ospreay always finds new and creative ways to take bumps and to sell, uh, which I think he does not get enough credit for. But yeah, it's like... Well, nobody hits a corner like Hiromu, man. If he's getting DDT'd in there, driven in there, I mean, nobody hits a corner quite like him. It's amazing to see what he does in there. Yeah, and uh, you know, it felt like the right time for Hiromu to win. Um, it's just a shame because it felt like Will had more to give in his title reign, but it, either way, it was going to be disappointing uh, based on who lost. But here's the thing. You couldn't have Hiromu lose on this show because Naito lost and LIJ lost the tag team titles. You could not have them take three L's on this show. Uh, they had to pick up one of these matches. So um, so there you go. Hiromu was the new junior champion. Anything else on that one? Uh, not really. I, I enjoyed it. Maybe not to the extent that you did. I think they, these guys have had better matches, and I think they will have better in the future. I still loved it, though. But, yeah, I think they, they left a little bit in the tank. And, and that's good, though. That's, that's fine with me if they want to, you know, save it for an even bigger moment, too. But, no, I mean, I still enjoyed it a lot. It's, I, I didn't hate the match. I just 
maybe didn't love it at the extent that you did, but still, you know, really, really thought there was a lot there to, to really sink your teeth into. So definitely, definitely worth your time. And then, yeah, when you combine it as the, you know, the, the back end of, of, oh, shit, I mean, we're going to talk about another match again. So I guess it's, I was going to say the top three, but we could really extend that even a little bit more. But when you talk about these last three matches, I mean, yeah, the, the, the you know, your, your two hours of straight just fucking incredible wrestling right there. And hell, the match before was almost as good. It's if not better even. <laughs> It's like that Wrestle Kingdom of... Oh, no, no. There's one more match. Yeah, there Sorry. Is. Not this match. The one after. It's... So, okay. So, it was a good three, and then there was a, a brief flip, and then an awesome match. So, we'll get to it's that. It's like that Wrestle Kingdom a few years ago where it closed with those four incredible matches in a row. It kind of had that feel with these last three matches. Yeah, it was Shibata Goto, and then what, what am I thinking of? Was it... Uh, are you thinking about the Nakamura Ibushi that year, or... It was... Uh, no, wasn't it the year with Nakamura and Styles, and then... Um, um, I think it was uh, Tanahashi and Okada and then uh, uh, Shibata and Goto. I'm probably mixing this up very badly, but there was that one year where there were four straight Wrestle Kingdom matches that were just fucking off the charts. Let's see. I think it's um, Wrestle Kingdom 10 that you're talking about. Let me uh, let me maybe. fire it up to make sure we got it right. So that is, uh, well, that's Goto, Naito, Shibata, Ishii, Nakamura, Styles, Okada, Tanahashi. That, is that no, what you're thinking of? Think that, no, see, I mixed it up then. It wasn't that show because I don't think... Um, well, maybe it was that. I don't know. There was one Wrestle Kingdom where you, where we were going nuts because the last four matches were just out of this world. I think it was. I think it was eleven. You had Hiromu and Kushida, Goto, Shibata, Naito, Tanahashi, and then Okada. That's Omega? the one. Okay, yeah, there. That's the Kingdom one. Eleven. Yeah. Um, yep. Because remember, that's the one where the show got off to a so-so start, and then the junior match happened, and the junior match was the first of those four, right? And it was like fucking incredible, and. Um, I was like, wow, if, if anything tops this, this is going to be a great show. And then all three oh, matches. Right, in and then su- every match. <laughs> yes. Right. All three that. in succession were better. You're like, better. well, good luck following that up. No one's going to be able to do that. Right. And then, and then yeah, then everybody said, ha-ha. <laughs> yeah, like. each successive match was better and better. It was just insane. <laughs> anyway, so we have, uh, Rich, let me ask you, outside of maybe like old man Lucha trios like Mil Mascaris and Dos Caras and maybe someone, because it happens in Lucha a lot because these guys never fucking retire and they do a million trios matches. Um, can you think of many trio teams that were more stocked with legends than the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Rey Mysterio Jr.? I mean... Nah, man. I mean, that's that's loaded. I mean, you might have, like, your random old school, you know, it, it, the undercard of, like, a Sumo Hall All Japan show, some of those guys, if you want. But for my money, I mean, when you're talking about the Rich Krejci, you know, <laughs> Mount Rushmore or whatever, I mean, you're talking three of those dudes are, are, are all-timers in my mind. I mean, Jushin Thunder Liger is one of my favorites of all time. Rey Mysterio goes without saying, and then, you know... Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's, you know, also pretty good. You know, breaking news, Hiroshi Tanahashi, good. That's that's a fucking unit right there. That is incredible. Yeah, I'm not that's saying, that's that, listen, I'm not saying it's the greatest trio of all time, but, it, I mean, there aren't many that are going to clock in better than that one um, in terms of star power and, and those sorts of things. Well, you basically things. have the, the probably the greatest North American flyer ever, you know, or one of the greatest North American flyers ever. I don't know if you want that qualifier. Uh Easily the greatest, you know, junior of all time, right? In Japan, is that a hot take well, to say? Well, Ray, Ma- well, yeah, I mean, I think your Rey Mysterio Junior might be the most influential junior of all time. I mean, you can yeah, even no, go I agree, that far. I agree, but you know, there's and, always people that will. Yeah, but I mean, look, but, but let's just call, look. Look, Rey Mysterio might be the most influential junior wrestler ever. Like you just said, Jushin Thunder Liger is is arguably the top junior in the history of of of, of Japan. And a, a certified... Will we, get, will we get subtweets about that? Will we get, like, Minoru Tanaka subtweets about they the, the Jushin Thunder Liger being the grass junior? They could subtweet <laughs> like, us about this we all are, right? Want. We're going to get them. Yeah, I cannot wait. If yeah, we get subtweeted about this, I'm exposing them. 
at, for the fools that they are. Okay, Jushin Thunder Liger. <laughs> please is do, not, please do. I mean, he's just a legend. Period. And then Hiroshi Tanahashi, uh, you know, it, 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 he's one of the greatest New Japan wrestlers of all time, and 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 had you know his legendary. Tell you, I don't need to explain to you how great any of these guys. I shouldn't have to explain it. I mean, this is one of the greatest trios ever constructed. I, I don't think that that's a false statement. So, uh, and, and they lost, of course, after all of that hype to the Bullet Club trio of Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Scroll, which is not one of the greatest trios um, ever put no, together of all time. definitely a little bit lower on the uh, all-time legend scale. Just a little bit lower, but definitely lower. So Cody pins Liger. We speculated last week that Liger would be more than willing to eat a fall here. He doesn't give a shit. Um, Cody, of course, um, it all makes sense because he's going to be your next IWGP title challenger. And this was fine. This was like a three-star match that I wish was like five minutes longer. Um, It really had some good... Look, I thought Rey Mysterio Jr. looked crisp as fuck. He looked great, especially coming off a serious arm injury. I thought Marty Skrull was the underrated MVP of this match because he just, he looked like he was having the time of his life flying around and taking bumps for Mysterio and making Mysterio look like a million bucks. I thought he was great in the match. And you had, uh, you know, the aura and star power of Tanahashi and Liger. And, uh, you know, Hangman Page was there too. So, it you know, it, it, I wish it went a couple minutes longer. Um, but, you know, it was what it was. And we'll have to see what they do with Mysterio moving forward. He has not been announced for Cal Palace yet. Willow Spray has been. So the, the Mysterio Osprey match, which was on the books at some point, has been changed. And uh, we'll see if they could even get Mysterio on the card. And they might have to. But uh, what did you think about this in a vacuum? Yeah, I mean, it was cool to see all these guys, and the match itself was largely forgettable. I'm never, I'll probably never remember any aspect of it. I thought Marty, like you said, was great, uh, you know, bumping for Ray. And, and, and Ray, I mean, it needs to be said again, he's a dude who, you know, he got himself a little bit lighter. He got rid of the, the unnecessary muscle that he had on his body for so long. He he got off the WWE schedule, and he's gotten himself super healthy. It's like a brand new Ray Mysterio, because there was a time, God, five years ago, where it was like, this dude's toast. This guy's done. And then even more recent history, you saw him, and we're like, this, it sucks. It's like, Ray Mysterio's done. Like, the, the Ray that we love to know and, and whatever it's gone he slimmed down he got himself back he, he rehabbed his knees he looks great he looks just as good as he did 15 years ago like he's never going to be that 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 fly like you know the 1996 Rey Mysterio ever again and we knew that but he's right back to what he was in his prime WWE years he's you know r- right back there so that that's kind of cool to see and he's even better than than some of those years too in terms of how he's flying and how he's moving around the ring so great for him to to, to, to get rid of that because he didn't need that weight you know that was kind of a WWE thing where he felt he had to pack on that extra you know 40 pounds of muscle or whatever the hell he had and and that was horrible for his knees you knew that his body couldn't handle that frame or whatever so he slimmed down to what his natural weight is and he looks great and he's moving around great too so it's it's really awesome to see you know my one buddy who was watching hadn't seen Rey Mysterio in a while and went holy shit what happened to all of his knee braces and I said well his knees are healthy he doesn't need them anymore because remember there was a time in WWE where he'd come out and he was just like head to toe he looked like fucking Ahmed Johnson he was like head to toe in like knee braces and it was like oh shit Ray's done he's toast like this sucks like this is the greatest high flyer ever and this is what he is now he, he got a miracle pill. He's he's back to what he was, you know, quite a few years ago too. So it, it's it's remarkable to see what where he's at right now, and and he feels like he's got years left on his career now. Yeah, I mean, this will get us subtweeted, but yeah, there were times where he was toast. I mean, I, and and that that makes people mad. No, I still truth. enjoyed him, but like, come yeah. on, five years ago he was fucking toast. Like, he there were move. periods of his career where you saw yeah. he was wearing knee he was wearing knee braces on everything. He had, he was head to toe in braces. Like he was a mess. <laughs> there were periods of his career where he was not great. 
and it was because of injuries. And I know people like get mad at that, and they, but it's the truth. I mean, you're not wrong. But uh, he looked real crisp here. I know it was a small sample size, but um, it made me want to see more. And I, I do think he, 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 he looked real crisp. Everything looked great uh, that he did. I mean, you know, he didn't have a ton of ring time, and it is not, not a huge sample size, but I was encouraged. So we had the Young Bucks. Uh, they did win the IWGP Tag Team titles over Sonata and Evil. And um, I'll go first on this one because I, I loved this fucking match. I, I got to tell you, this was the best IWGP title match that, that, that I can recall in recent vintage. Um, it may be one of the better ones ever uh, that this company has ever seen. I'm that high on this match, and I'm, I'm going to explain and state my case and explain why. Um, the thing about it is, look, it's the thing about the Young Bucks is both of the, these guys are managing to tell um, intricate stories within their match while folding that into the utter madness that they like to bring to matches. And that's not an easy thing to do. A lot of times you're either a great like spot fest style wrestler or you know, you're great at telling stories, but it's really hard to fold those stories into a match where you're also doing a bunch of crazy, dynamic, fast-paced, uh, nonstop uh, action sort of things. And, and it's like Sonata and Evil kept up all the way. Matt is still doing this thing with his back where he sell, he's been selling the back all year long. But in this match, Nick missed a high kick and kicked the post and injured his foot. And he was selling the foot the rest of the match. And it was playing into the rest of the bout. Um, he would land kicks, but then he would be unable to uh, go for covers because, uh, you know, it was excruciating pain to his foot. They went for the Meltzer driver at one point, and Nick slipped off the ropes because he couldn't complete the move because he's limping around on his foot. Um, and the other thing about this that I loved was, if you go back and watch this match, the cl- not just the cl- I say the closing stretch, but really the whole second half of the match was one giant closing stretch because the Bucks brought that junior tag energy to a heavyweight tag title match. They had this incredible seven-minute closing stretch with such intricate spots that required such intricacies and timing and everybody being where they needed to be. And if anyone was a second late on something, it would have looked horrendous where they weren't able to break up a pinfall or they weren't able to break up a uh, finishing maneuver or they weren't there to save a partner or they weren't there to... to they had all... They, they, it, was, it was so... such a This was such a high uh, sort of... Uh, what do they call it in figure skating or diving, uh, degree of difficulty. This match was such a high degree of difficulty, and all four guys were picture perfect in executing this incredibly difficult match. I mean, if you go back and watch this match and how complicated these spots were and how one spot would feed into the other, and this was not the kind of match where you do a big move and you lay around on the mat for five minutes. This was constant action for the final seven minutes of the match, constant finish teases, constant uh, 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 breakup of pinfalls, and and everyone was right where they needed to be every time. And the drama and the escalation was off the fucking charts. I mean, this was just an incredible match. And, and, you know, and, and, and again, I went dark before I watched and I wrote my review and I, I see that some people really liked it. And I have no idea if I'm the only one that's, that's this high on this. I don't know. I haven't really read any other reviews. I've only talked to a few people involved with our site. But, Rich, th- this was, to me, not a good match, not a great match. This was an incredible match. I went four and a half on this. This is the best tag team match I've seen this year. This is the best IWGP tag team title match I've seen in, in probably a fucking decade. Um, I'd really have to think about it. It'd definitely be bef- it's definitely the best 
tag title match in this company since the quote-unquote Okada era has begun. I have no doubt about that. Um, and, and, and I don't even know if it's particularly close. Um, uh, you know, so, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the better tag team matches I've seen um, overall in pro wrestling over, over maybe the last 18 months. I really love the fuck out of this match. Yeah, I, I loved all the parts that you liked uh, about it as well. One thing that I really, really enjoyed too is because it was the juniors and the young bucks. And obviously, this wasn't their first rodeo going for for you know the main event or the the, the heavyweight tag team titles. But they worked it very much in the style that they were the lighter guys. You know, they they are the heavyweights. They've gotten to that level, but they understand that they can't mix it up with the evil. They know that Sonata, if they if they got caught even for a second, Sonata was going to throw them in that sleeper or do whatever. So they were jumping around, being kind of the little guys in the match, but not you know overly doing the little guy shtick, but enough where you could kind of sense, okay, the Bucks know that they're, and, and, and that's their bread and butter anyway, you know, is, is Young Bucks doing what they did. But uh, that was a nice little touch that, like, everything that they did in the match was very much, like, double-team maneuver, quick, get in and out. Like, don't let themselves be exposed at any minute of that match because anytime Evil grabbed a hold of one of them, he would toss him around or powerbomb him or, or do whatever. And Sonata, if you got him for a second, he would try to throw you in that sleeper or try to tap you out or whatever, sort of the skull end, I should say. So... <clears throat> Sorry, so I thought that was a really cool aspect of it as well, is that it was like the Bucks kind of felt like the juniors still, which is, is a good story to tell, and it's the way that the Bucks really work. But yeah, like you said, anybody who goes right now and says, oh, the Bucks don't, you know, we heard the old thing, oh, the Bucks don't sell, or eh, they just moves, or eh, they just do it. You have not been watching the Young Bucks, because this match <laughs> was dripping with selling. Like you said, one Buck can't move his back shot. He can't do any suplexes. He can't do any power moves because his back can't handle it. The other one can't kick. The other one can't jump onto the ropes. Like, <laughs> the whole match was centered around these bucks, you know, their body parts just being ravaged or whatever. So it's just like, you know, anybody who says it anymore, you're just completely lost. You're just not watching you're it. Not you're watching. You're li- not you're, watching it. But You're not watching Young Buck matches. You're listening to Jim Cornette podcasts. We've well, also yeah, have not been watching Young Buck matches for like three years. Yes. Like you're, you're, you're doing like 2013 Young Buck, yeah. you know, bullshit. You're, you're, doing, you're regurgitating Jim Cornette narratives and just you're an idiot and stop talking because you need to go away. The Bucks <laughs> are doing old school tag team psychology with new school athleticism. That's what they're doing. Um, right. So, so you're dead on about that, and 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 Rich, I do think it's time. And I I hinted at this earlier when I talked about Okada. Um, uh, it's time to say the Young Bucks are one of the greatest tag teams in the history of professional wrestling, and I'm comfortable saying that now. And uh, I will go a step further, and I will say that the second that they're on the Hall of Fame ballot, I'm ticking the box. I don't even think there there there's any doubt in my mind anymore that they are not only one of the greatest tag teams of all time, but they're a Hall of Fame tag team. Um, they have the resume now. Rich, I, w- I want to put it to you this way. Um, the Young Bucks, on, 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 on sheer long... Look, I'm not saying they're the greatest team of all time, because I don't think they are. Uh, you know, but just on sheer uh, longevity alone, there's only a small handful of tag teams that can match them. They had their first match together in 2004. Rich, they've been teaming together for nearly 15 years. And the thing about it is they never have teased singles runs. They've always been a team. They've got almost 15 years of matches under their belts. And a good chunk of that have been uh, as arguably the best tag team in the world or one of the top five tag teams in the world for a good portion of those 15 years. Especially towards the back end of that over the last, like you said, three or four years, uh, last three or four years or so. Um, so I, I really don't think it's outrageous to call them one of the best teams of all time at this point. So what I did earlier today on Twitter was I asked people and I crowdsourced and I said, who do you think is the greatest tag team of all time? And as a secondary question, who do you think is the greatest tag team of 
the modern era of pro wrestling, and I designated that by saying uh, roughly the attitude era to the present is how I defined modern era wrestling under that context. And the reason I did that, Rich, there was a method to that, was so that we could compare the Bucks to the greatest tag teams of all time and also compare them to their contemporaries, the greatest tag teams of today. That's why I split it up with the time periods that I did. And it's also why I didn't say, who are the five greatest tag No, I want to know who people thought were the greatest tag team of all time and the best tag team of this era so that we can compare the Bucks to the best of the best. I don't want to compare them to who you think is the eighth best tag team of all time. So I crowdsourced some answers. And Rich, first of all, I got about 20 different tag teams named. Let me see. I got one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I got about uh, a little over 20 tag teams that that, oh, wow. our, that our Twitter followers sent to us. Remember, it was a two-pronged question. Um, but only four of those teams that were proposed to me, and remember, the responses to this question were the greatest teams ever in these people's minds, not you know, the best of the best. Only four of those teams have had had longer runs as a tag team than the Bucks have with their 15-year run. The thing about the Bucks is a lot of the greatest tag teams of all time, Rich, weren't together for a long period of time at all. Right. So when, when, when you proposed this question, the rest of the day I was kind of thinking about it in my head. And everybody that I came up with, I had a few teams, and I'll mention them as, as you kind of list off the list, and I'll, I'll tell you which ones I had. But... I was looking at him and I was like, yeah, that team, but man, they really only were around, you know, four or five years or whatever, six years tops or whatever. Everyone I kept going to was like, yeah, they were, I love them in the amount of time, but very short longevity, not a few, a lot of years. And I kept going back to the Bucks and was like, fuck, I've been personally seeing the Young Bucks as a team for 10 years. You know, like in my lifetime, they've just been there forever. I've, been, I've seen them in Ring of Honor as like, you know, whatever the hell ages they were, like 22, 23 years old or whatever. I've been seeing them live for 10 years at this point and it, that part kind of got me i was like holy shit it might even be longer than that now that i look at it and I even, maybe not even 10 years that part got to me i was like shit all these teams that i'm mentioning i don't know that they were around 10 years as a team they had great runs they had high peaks and, and we'll talk about them here in a sec man the bucks the longevity alone that's what i mean is next level at this point <laughs> yeah the longevity alone top you know they, they just simply have a deeper resume uh, than most of the other greatest teams of all time. And if you want to look at kayfabe, Rich, I don't think there's a tag team ever that has had more tag team title reigns than the Bucks. And you might say, okay, but what does that mean? That's kayfabe. What it does tell you, though, is wherever they have gone, those promotions have thought of them enough that they are the best tag team in their company or that they can draw the most money uh, out of the tag teams in their company. Because they, they win tag team. They've won tag more. I, I don't know if there's a fact, but just glancing at it, I, I can't imagine there's been a tag team that has won more tag team titles than the Bucks have. Uh, but anyway, let's go down. There's only four tag teams that came up that have had longer runs than the Bucks. And again, none of these teams we name, I'm not going to sit here and suggest that the... Look, you may think that all of these teams are better than the Bucks. You may think that half of them are, some of them are. I agree with you. Okay, and I'm talking to the listener now. I'm not suggesting they're the greatest team of all time, but I am suggesting that they belong in the conversation. Here are the four teams. The Rock and Roll Express. They've been tag teaming consistently for over 20 years. Okay, they've never, uh, you know, they, they, even today they're tagging consistently. So, uh, you know, they've had a 20-plus year run, and, uh, you know, I am not putting the Young Bucks ahead of them um, uh, in terms of my own personal rankings. The Dudley Boys were together as a team for 17 years, but not consecutively. They had a run from 1996 to 2010, then they didn't team for a while, and then they had a shorter, shittier run from 2013 to 2016. 
Rich, if you're asking me, the Young Bucks have had a better career than the Dudley Boys. I don't know where you stand yeah, on that. Yeah, and I like the I'd, I like the Dudley Boys, too, but I, I think for 100%. I mean, their ECW run, the Dudley Boys were more about promos and, and sort of the character-wise, which was great. It was next-level stuff, but, yeah, the in-ring was, was you know left a little to be desired. When they went to WWE, there was a lot of good stuff when they initially came to WWE. And then, really, other than like the times when they had, and we'll talk about the teams here in a little bit, ones that I picked out, uh, they had great matches with great teams, but then, you know, as those sort of teams moved on and broke up or whatever, the Dudleys really never, I never really liked all that much more after like a one or two year period. So no, I think the Bucks have lapped the, the Dudley boys many times over for sure. I saw the Dudleys first match live in ECW arena. I've watched the Dudleys in their higher careers and I don't think the Dudleys are in the same universe as the Young Bucks. No, I don't even think no, they're close. No. Uh, the Hardys have been together for 17 years. Again, not consecutively. Their first run started in 1995 on, on indies, then doing WWF job work, and lasted till 2002. That's probably their most famous run from 95 to 02. Then they didn't team together for four years. They had another run from 06 to 09 when Jeff came back to WWE, I guess it was. Uh, and then they had another run from 2011 to the present, which encapsules the Broken Era, their their indie run where they wrestled the Briscoes and the Bravados and the Young Bucks. All, remember that a couple years ago where they were wrestling all those teams on the indies? So they've had three different runs that have totaled about 17 years. If you want to tell me the Hardys have had a better careers than the Young Bucks, I'm not going to die on that hill. I personally prefer the Young Bucks. Uh, where do you stand on that one quickly? Um, I like the Hardys. They were one of the teams that I definitely brought up with that. I still probably think physical longevity reasons why uh, you know I would, I would pick the Bucks over um, the Hardys, but I think the Hardys are there. They were definitely one that I sort of wrote down on my short list, you know, post Attitude Era. So, so I think, yeah, I, th- I think the Hardys are in the conversation, but I, I'd probably still pick the Bucks. I think them. if I ranked out the twenty best matches from both teams, eighteen of them would be Young Buck matches. That's why I would go with the Young Bucks. And maybe I'm just not as high on the Hardys as other people because I never really was. But I, I would take the Bucks over the Hardys. But I'm not gonna. I'm not like I said. I'm not gonna get in a fist fight with you over it. And the the only other team, the other the fourth team that has more longevity, and this is the only team, by the way, aside from the Rock and Roll Express, that has um, not where, where it's continuous longevity is the Briscoes, who have been teaming together for 19 years. And I think the Briscoes, uh, more than any of these others, are direct contemporaries of the Young Bucks, and it's a real interesting and fair debate that you can have between those two teams. Um, I don't know where I'd go on that one. Uh, but what I do know is this. The Bucks still feel like they're, they're in their prime, and in fact, they feel like they're peaking, whereas the Briscoes feel like they're on the downslope. So I think moving forward, the Bucks are going to blow right past the Briscoes. Right now, I don't know how I would break it up, though, because I think at their best, the Briscoes were probably better than the Bucks. Where do you stand on that? They, they were my number one when I was kind of jotting down normal teams or, or modern yeah. teams, I should say. The, the, Briscoes, the Briscoes are absolutely I – yeah. think, I think they're still number one, the Briscoes. But like you said, if the trajectory is the way they go, I'm not liking anything that I've seen from the Briscoes like this year or even the last few years. If the Bucks even have a handful more matches that, that are, 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 are good or next level, they'll pass the Bucks. But I think or the, the Briscoes. But right now, I think the Briscoes are still mine for modern teams because I've seen the highest of highs of the Briscoes are just incredible. They're almost otherworldly, some of the stuff that I saw them do. But... The Bucks are right on the heels, man, and and from a longevity standpoint, they put a few more matches together. They put another year or two together. I think they 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 definitely pass the Briscoes. But for right now, the Briscoes are my 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 favorite team of the modern era. But I think the Bucks are are, are knocking on the, the the doors right now. So let's look at some of these other teams people named, and it will really give perspective when in terms of in terms of just straight longevity. 
um, you know, how the Bucks just, just lap a lot of these teams. The first one is the Road Warriors. Now, the run that everybody remembers in their best run was 83-92. to 92. They teamed again from 96 to 99, and then they had a really bad indie run from 2000 to 2003. If you count all of that together, it's 12 years. But realistically, it's that first nine-year run. Uh, that they're going to hang their hat on. And obviously they were mega stars, at least you know, during the first half of that run. Um, it was really when they went to WWE where they kind of dipped a bit in terms of star power and drawing ability. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you if you think the Road Warriors are a better team than the Young Bucks. Uh, and they're actually, um, when, it, when it comes to um, length of time teaming together, um, they're, they're one of the few on this list that even come close. And that's, you know, but even so you have to kind of, count that those back-end runs that weren't super impressive in order to get them there. Um, the Midnight Express were mentioned a lot. The problem with the Midnight Express is there's at least three different combinations of the Midnight Express. I count them all as different teams. Uh, you know, the two that everybody, uh, you know, we'll talk about are the Dennis Condry version and the Stan Lane version, with, of course, Bobby Eaton being the, uh, the constant between the two. Rich, that Dennis Condry tag team was really only 1982 to 1987. And the Stan Lane, right, right, and the yeah. Stan Lane version of the team was even shorter. It was like eighty-seven to ninety, and then you know they teamed again a little bit in Smoky Mountain Wrestling a few years later, uh, you know. And I don't think anybody would consider the original Midnight Express with Condry and Rose, or uh, obviously not Bodacious Bart and uh, Bob Holly. No one cares about. <laughs> oh come on! You know, but, but but in terms of the Condry and Lane teams, again, no longevity. Five-year run for one, and three-year run for the other. So if you're talking depth of resume, now. If you want to tell me that one of those versions of the... I think when people say the Midnight Express is the greatest tag team of all time, I think they're counting those versions together. Me, personally, I don't think that's fair. To me, it's two different teams. Where do you stand on the one team or two team? Uh, I Yeah, I mean, it's got to be that you have to do the one, right? You can't, you can't just count all of them. That doesn't seem quite fair. Like, if they were like a... If you want to go with like the shield or whatever and say like, oh, well, you know, whatever, any combo with the three or whatever, or the Freebirds, I'm sure you're going to mention here in a bit. That all allow because you can have that sort of... But they're like wholly different teams. You, you know, they, there might be a constant in there. That might be the same name, but I don't think you can just count them all as one, right? That, no, that seems kind of cheap. I think it's case by case. To me, the Midnight Express are two different tag teams. But, but to me, the New Day is all one tag team. I think it's just, to me, it's a case-by-case basis. Um, I'm, I'm yeah, not going right. to sit here and split up when Kofi teams with Big E and when Big E teams with Z. No. To me, that's one team. But Midnight Express, it, it, they're two distinct tag teams. So, um, you know, I, it, it's like at the risk of fucking going against everything that's holy in wrestling, I'll take the Young Bucks over either version of that team. They just weren't together long enough, as great as they were. Ah, that's my opinion. Um, let's see. We've got... Um, Edge and Christian, Rich, 1999 to 2001. I mean, it's a blip on the radar. I mean, I, I was shocked that they came up, quite honestly. Um, I, maybe, again, I'm underrating them. Again, that's not my favorite era yeah, of wrestling. They, they were really good. They were really good in that era. So I, I didn't because I wrote them down. They were one team that I definitely had. But, again, you mentioned longevity. They're just – they don't have the – I mean, it's, it's three, four years, and then they realized that Edge was a star and that Christian they could do some stuff with. And that's the problem is most good tag teams – if you're that good, eventually they realize, oh shit, we're going to talk about another one. I'm sure the Hart Foundation, where once you realize Bret Hart's good, you're not going to have Bret Hart toil around with Jim Neidhart for you know five more years or whatever. You're going to have a move on or whatever, and that sort of happened with Edge and Christian. I think they were very good though. I know it's kind of your dark period or whatever. I think they were really good and they deserve to be on that list. But 
when you compare them to the Bucks, no comparison because the Bucks have been around quadruple the amount of time that, that Edge and Christian were. Yeah, I'm not super high on Edge and Christian. They had another short run in 98 where they put them together for a little bit, but it's really 99 to 01 that people are paying attention to. Uh, let's see, Speed Muscle. Okay, Speed Muscle came up. This is Doyen Yoshino. No, from 05 to 2013, they had various runs where they had runs together as a team. And then again, recently, in this past year, from 2017 to 2018, they came together again briefly. But even all told, if you count all of that, which really isn't necessarily fair because there were periods where they didn't team together, it's about a 10-year run. And that's broken up into several little mini-runs. And one thing that we've pointed out um, was not a lot of their matches made tape I think we counted a couple years ago and they had something like 20 matches total on tape as a team. So that's a problem too when it comes to speed muscle. A lot of their matches that they did have were matches that never ended up on tape. Uh, certainly right. a great team. Or only Bill Thompson has access to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, got yeah, the, yeah, I didn't wanna... he's got the secret drive with all the fan cam Dragon Gate footage that we all need. I didn't so. want to get super inside baseball with it, but yeah, we had this absolute idiot who used to argue with us by the name of Bill Thompson who used to write for the Wrestling With Words site, and he was an absolute dope. And he once argued that Speed Muscle was a bad team and that he could say that because he had seen well over 50 Speed Muscle matches in his life. So I went back and counted, and at the time that he made that statement, they had like 21 matches on tape, uh, which exposed Bill Thompson as the absolute fool and liar that he is. Right. And, and, and the, the best part is there was like hardcore, like Case Lowe, obviously he's seen most, Michael Spears, guys that are on our web, uh, you know, our own website, uh, John Carroll type that was saying, you know, I don't think I've seen that many speed muscle yeah. matches. And, and like Michael Spears has seen everything. He's seen every, like literally every match that any of the Dragon system has ever produced. He's got a, you know, an encyclopedic knowledge of every little bit and piece of it or whatever. And it's like, he's like, I don't, I don't know that I've even seen that many speed muscle matches. So that was, that was a great one too. That the rest of us were like, I don't know. We've seen like, 10 top, 10, 10, 15 or so tops, like at the absolute most, if we watch almost everything that they made on tape. So it was, it's kind of funny. But yeah, that, that speaks right to it, too. It's like, yeah, I mean, they, they obviously high highs, but I don't know. We haven't seen all of it because they weren't around that long. Yeah. They just, you know, not a lot of stuff made, made it to tape. So it's hard to really put them in that pantheon. Heart Foundation, 85 to 91, seven years. And remember, some of that... Yes, they were definitely one of mine. Now listen, some of that was spent as singles because they broke them up in the battle, the Bad News Brown Battle Royal. And they went singles for a little while. So, you know, not exactly, you know, not seven years of teaming with each other, you know, for the full calendar year and those sorts of things. Holy Demon Army, which is, of course, uh, Tawei and Kawada, which was the most frequent response uh, of any uh, Puro team. They had a seven-year run from 1993 to 2000. Again, and they teamed a couple times as a gimmick in Noah after that, but we're not going to count that. Here's the thing. It's we're going to count that as part of their run anyway. The run that people are familiar with is 93 to 2000. If you tell me Holy Demon Army is a better team than Young Bucks, I am not going to argue with you. Again, the point of this is not to tell you that the Young Bucks are better than all of these teams. The point is to show you that they at least should be in the conversation. Uh, Motor City Machine Guns came up, which I, I don't I don't consider them one of the greatest teams of this era. Well, maybe of this era. Not that, there's no way I would ever consider them the greatest team of this era. Uh, you want to extrapolate it out to top five or top ten, then yeah, I can see squeezing them in. They were a team from 07 to 2012, and then, you know, again recently from 2016 moving forward. Rich, you don't think Motor City Machine Guns are as good as the Bucks, do you? 
Uh, no, no, no. And I think they're very good, and they're 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 one of my all time teams. But yeah, they're they're the the Bucks have certainly passed them in the last handful of years or whatever. I think yeah, it's not even close anymore. The Usos, watch out for the Usos because they've been a tag team for damn near a decade now, and I do think that you can make a solid case that the Usos are the greatest WWE slash WWF tag team of all time. Uh, but I got to tell you, I am not putting them over the Bucks. I just can't. Um, I think the Bucks have a much better resume. I think if you take away the last two or three years, the Usos don't have much on their resume. I mean, they were a team during that time, and they were having nice little matches on things like main event. Uh, but listen, the Bucks are having great matches all over the world for the last decade. So um, where do you stand on Usos versus Bucks? Yeah, I mean, we, we've had this we've had this discussion on this podcast. If you want to say the Usos are the greatest team in WWE history, I don't know that I could really argue with you anymore at that point. They probably are that are definitely in the contention for it. But against the Bucks, not a chance in hell. The Usos have had really you know a few a handful of matches that I think are really really elite. But yeah, they're not in in the Bucks category right now in terms of the the stuff that the Bucks have done all across the world. And 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 yeah, they're they're good team, maybe the best in WWE. But I don't think they're they're contenders for the Bucks top spot. Uh, Hanson and Brody came up. They were only a team for two years, 82 to 84 in all Japan. Uh, again, short runs for these tag teams. The Steiner brothers. Now, look, they've teamed sporadically uh, for the last decade, but really the run that anyone remembers or would want to talk about is 89 to 98. So you're talking really a nine-year run. Now, since 2000, uh, since the turn of the uh, – of the um, uh, millennium, I guess, uh, they've teamed, you know, one or two times a year. I don't think anybody cares about their indie matches or their random TNA bouts, but that 89 to 98 run, excellent run. Uh, then we had Footloose, which is Kawada and Fuyuki. Of course, uh, they look three year run, 87 to 90. And they teamed a little bit in 1984. Uh, they put them together and tried them out. Uh, but they, the, the run that people associate with Footloose is really 87 to 90, and it's only three years. We've got Kenta Fuji, of course, which is Kenta and Marafuji, a tag team that I love, I think is one of the greatest teams of all time, and Rich, really, the run that people think of was really only 2003 to 2006. Um, you know, they had some matches together, uh, you know, until Kenta left the company, really, but it's 03 to 06 when people think of Kenta Fuji. Again, right, it's right, only three yeah. years. It's just a three-year mm-hmm. run. Uh, Masao and Kobashi. Again, I'm not going to take out my gun and challenge you to a duel if you think they're better than the Bucks, but it was only six years, 90 to 96. And, and longevity is only one piece of this. I get it. But what I'm trying to demonstrate is, you know, the Bucks are, have a, a deeper resume than just about any team ever. Uh, Doc and Gordy, Miracle Violence Connection. If you're talking about greatest tag team names of all time, you're not going to top Miracle no, Violence yeah. Connection. <laughs> no, you're not no, going to top. You're not going to top Holy Demon Army. Okay, uh, you're going to top Footloose because that's a pretty shitty name. But you, 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 Muscle Orchestra, you're not going to type. Top you're not going to top those Muscle those Orchestra. The... I think Speed Muscle is a cool name too. But Miracle Violence Connection. Everyone talks about Doc and Gordy, 90 to 93. That's it. That's the whole run. That's it. Okay. Yeah, they had their one-offs in ECW, and you know they had their. But you know, it's a three-year run. You know, there's just there's not a ton there. The revival. You want to talk revival? Okay, got no problem, man. Revival. Oh God. Listen, <laughs> man. you're laughing, but I'm not. I remember them. I, I think in terms. No, of... No, I remember them. They were great. I oh, you're laughing because they don't get don't used what... anymore. But I, mean... I don't know what hole they. What I don't know what black hole they got lost in. But yeah, they used to be great. I don't know what happened. In terms that. of modern era, I mean, they've got every match they had uh, in these NXT yeah. shows were tremendous. They were a team for four. They've been a, they've been a team for four years. But remember, half of that was as the mechanics. 
Okay, which they, I think they made TV twice. So unless you were on the Largo loop and you saw something that I didn't, you're really talking about a two, like a two-year run as the revival. Well, a little longer than that, uh, since uh, 2014. So a four-year run as the revival, and then like a, a two-year run as the mechanics. So uh, and then the Minnesota Wrecking Crew came up, which again, there's like 19 different combinations of this one. But I assume that people are talking about Ole and Gene, the 1970s connection, which uh, they were together from about 1969 to 1981. So you did have a you know a, a very beefy 12-year run in all kinds of territories for those guys. I assume that's the combination people are talking about. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm an expert on the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. I've seen a couple of matches at, at most. I don't think Rich is going to tell you he's an expert on the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Look, we can sit here and talk about the fabulous kangaroos if you want, okay? But, I mean, really, what's the point? Uh, you, you really want to talk about the Dusick Family Riot Squad, uh, you know, go right ahead. But to me, uh, this is sort of – how far back do you want to go? I mean, at some point, if you're talking about the history <laughs> – you know. At, some point, if you're talking about the history of the NFL, uh, you don't bring up a running back from the 1920s uh, before the forward pass. You know what I'm saying? If you're talking about baseball, you can bring up Cap Anson if you want, but it was eight, you know, it required eight balls before you walked and walks counted as hits and, you know, fans were running on the field and they used one ball even if it got destroyed during it. I mean, come on. I mean, you got to reel it in a little. (laughs) And you also have to understand... The home run was just the fans took the ball and you couldn't get it back from that. Yeah, (laughs) so I mean, you you also have to understand it's what have people seen and how how many of our listeners have seen, you know, the Dusick Family Riot Squad or the Fabulous Kangaroos? I mean, I, I'm not, you know, come on. If you want to tell me they're better than the Bucks, I'm not even going to bother arguing. Fine. You win. You got that one. You know, but the wrestling is so different uh, that I don't even think it's, 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 it's pointless to compare. Uh, but Minnesota Wrecking Crew, I do think you can compare them. I just haven't seen enough. Uh, but again, all of these teams I'm naming, just to be clear, before you get on your little Twitter and start burying me, are great teams. All-time teams, among the greatest teams of all time. My point is when you look at resume and you look at their place against their contemporaries, which is important to me, okay? When you look at their place against their contemporaries, I think there's no question that it's time to include the Young Bucks on this list with all of these other teams. I think you got it. All right. Um, this is <laughs> this is an all we're two hours in, Joe. And we uh, <laughs> we got four matches to go on Dominion Five. <laughs> oh boy, this is a good one. I guess there's we don't have a ton about the rest of the card, right? So let's let's no, we can blow through that. Through the rest, yeah. Let's do it. All right, so we got Michael Elgin defeats Hiroki Goto and Taichi for the Never Openweight Title. Surprise uh, that Elgin won. Uh, mildly, I thought any of the three could win. I thought the match was fine. I much rather would see Elgin Goto singles, and it looks like that's what we're going to get moving forward. But yeah, yeah, which would be better, much better. I mean, Taichi's fine, but he felt like an extra part in this match. The, the entire time, I was just waiting for Elgin and Goto to face off. I had no use for Taichi in this match, and I'm not. I, I've, I've softened on my anti Taichi thing, but he just felt like an extra piece in this. It felt like there was no purpose for him to be in this match whatsoever. So I think it was much better, and, and it will be better when Shazelgan and, and Goto. And we'll get to a little bit more of that uh, match a little bit because that has some implications on uh, some other tours going on. Uh, Suzuki Gun, yeah, Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. versus uh, Ishii and Yano, of course. Uh, Suzuki Gun team gets the win. I really love the finish here where Yano went for the low blow. Sabre grabbed his hands in his legs and then put him in the submission and tapped him out. I thought that was a really cool way, and it was cool because it was a lot of the undercards were like super quick matches because you knew that the rest of the show was going to be long and obviously the main event. So this is about eight minutes in and out, but I think it was exactly the length it needed to be and, and I enjoyed it. it. It told the match, the you know future matches, Ishii and Suzuki slapping the fuck out of each other at the end and, and Sabre tapping out Yano. So I thought it did exactly what it needed to do. 
Yeah, I mean, it should have been for the Rev Pro Tag Titles. If this team was going to win, there's no reason they couldn't have done that. But that's a minor gripe. And we're going to get Suzuki and Ishii on, those, uh, Rev, on one of those Rev Pro shows, which I cannot wait for. So, And I also like to note, Zack Sabre Jr. was over like a motherfucker. Like, way more oh, over Oh, he was so over in Japan. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, yeah I, I was kind of surprised by that, too. They said his name, and he got almost the, he got almost as big of a reaction his as, submissions as, as Ishii. Just, when he puts guys in submissions, the crowd just gasps. I mean, they, his submissions yep. are just so over because of, you know, the way he, he finishes people off. And this was a real creative finish where he blocked the low blow by Yano, wrapped him up like a fucking pretzel. Yeah, so decent little match. Good stuff there. Taguchi Japan versus Juice Robinson and David Finley defeating Jay White and Yoshihashi in a little over seven minutes. Yeah, fine. I don't know. I don't know that I had any strong thoughts about this match. It was over. It was probably it, it went exactly the one prediction we had correct. We got this one, but that's about it. We probably the worst match on the show, but it was a good match. Um, you know, David Finley's a really good wrestler. I just don't know where he fits in. Um, and Juice Robinson is gonna. I, I was surprised he directly pinned Jay White, but they, you know, they obviously set up a title match between those two. That's going to happen in uh, the Cow Palace. And, um, you know, White did, though, hit the switchblade on Finley right before the finish. So they protected him to a degree. But, I mean, Yoshihashi's yeah. right there. Just pin Yoshihashi. Yeah, know. that was a little... I didn't quite understand that. I didn't quite understand why Jay White got the loss there, the visual pin, but... It is what it is. And then the uh, the opener, which is pretty fun, uh, Desperado and Kanemaru defeating Rapongi 3K, so retaining the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles. I thought that was a little bit of a surprise. I did not expect them to retain, but I guess it was fine. I mean, it, it, as the opener, I, I, I'm fine if the Rapongi 3K, their next title win is a little bit bigger of a deal, but I don't know. I was a little miffed because the ending was kind of shitty, you know, with Suzuki Gun being, you know, tossing around the, the, the whiskey bottle or whatever. But when it was all said and done, it was nine minutes, and it was fine. It was entertaining for what it was. It, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, you know, it could have been a, bit, a little bit better, Probably, but whatever, you know. I, I thought this ruled. I really liked it, um, and and I'm glad that the Suzuki Gun team won because I I think they've been on a good run, and it stabilizes the titles even further. Rapongi 3K, they're 20 nothing years old. They got plenty of years ahead of them to win tag team titles. Um, so I'm I'm glad that that they and I think Despi and Kanemura are a real fun heel team, and I think Yo was great as a babyface in peril. And I think show is a tremendous hot tag. And I really think Rapongi 3K is finding their groove as a tag team right now. All right. Anything else on uh, Dominion overall before we move on to some other uh, New Japan news? No, it's a show of the year contender. I mean, and that's, Absolutely. you know, it's an easy statement to make. I haven't sized it up against the other shows yet. Um, cause I don't really feel like doing that right now, but it's, it's certainly a show of the year contender. So let's move on to, uh, we got a little bit of news about the Cow Palace card. I think this is the first one we'll go to, and then we'll go to some of the other stuff, because I think this is an important one, and I think this will be a, a little bit of a discussion as well. So you have the Cow Palace show, of course, we mentioned. It's on July 7th in San Francisco. Uh, big deal, big arena for, for New Japan to do this. We talked about last week a little bit of the issues of booking New Japan so often in the year. You got the all-in show possibly competing. You got the, the CEO show in Daytona Beach going on. You had earlier this year New Japan in America. So we have four more matches announced for that card. Uh, what we have right now, Kenny Omega versus Cody. That'll be your main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So you had Omega versus Cody. We'll talk about that here in a sec. Uh, Jay White versus Juice Robinson for the U.S. title. Uh, the Bucks versus Evil Sonata in a rematch of the Dominion uh, match. Uh, that'll be for the IWGP tag titles, of course. And then Okada and Osprey, the Chaos team, versus uh, Naito and Bushi, your LIJ team. So that's all we have right now. We have those four matches set in stone. No Jericho announced right now. It seems like he will not be on the show. As we mentioned, no Rey Mysterio quite yet. So we have these four matches announced, and Joe, 
they we kind of monitor the tickets to see, okay, is this now going to be the, the impetus for people to go, okay, now I want to buy tickets? Not really. That didn't quite happen. W- what's your take on that? No, this hasn't helped move tickets at all. Um, it's it's certainly an underwhelming card. Now, I think Omega versus Cody is a smart match from a booking perspective because you're not burning off anything important for Japan. And it's two guys who are draws in America. The problem is the match happened here already for Ring of Honor, and your traveling wrestling fan who's going to get on a plane and go to see pro wrestling already flew out to see this match once. It's going to be hard to get that guy to get on a plane to see this match a second time. Um, so that's the issue. From a booking perspective, uh, for your storytelling, it's a good match, but it, 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 didn't, it didn't move any additional tickets uh, because Ring of Honor did it first. And I spoke at the time. I, I thought, and, and we talked to people in New Japan privately, and I said, hey, this is kind of, are you guys annoyed that Ring of Honor is doing the Kenny Cody match? Because that seems like a match that you guys can do in America. And, and our person told us, yeah, it is kind of annoying, but, uh, you know, what can you do? So I do think it hurts that this is a rematch, um, you know, and, and people aren't going to, are, are obviously have decided that they're, they're not going to travel to see this twice. You've got Okada in a tag. You've got Naito in a tag. You've got no Jericho. He has said on the record uh, that what we talked about last week, that he has told Vince McMahon he will not work shows in the United States. Jericho's other thing is he's working very select dates, period. He wants to make his appearances special. He doesn't want to wrestle twice a month or, you know, whatever the hell it is. He wants to wrestle once a quarter. Uh, now, he did say, I don't know if you saw the interview, he, there is a caveat. He said, if someone wants to throw me six figures, I'll break all those rules. And that's what <laughs> we course, talked about last week. He's like, he yeah. even, he, it's funny, he said exactly what we said. He said, if someone wants to give me, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if someone wants to give me six figures, Vince will get over it, is what he said. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's isn't that exactly what we said last week. It's like, you know, it's yeah, it's, right, right. Yeah. You know, he'll chase the money and then ask for forgiveness later. And more times than not, you'll get forgiveness from Vince McMahon if you try. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but, you know, and, and we don't see Mysterio on this card yet. Um, we talked about it earlier. They're obviously not doing the Mysterio Osprey match. That was 100 percent on the books as of March. This is not a blow away card on paper yet. Um, it's only four matches. I don't know what else they're going to announce. Um Obviously, there's no Tanahashi. There's you know some other, uh, but but most of the other big names are on here. So I mean, you got your Bucks, Omega, and Cody out there. I can't imagine that this was the card that they were envisioning. In fact, I know that it's not the card that they were envisioning. Um, so I think we're only going to see a slow trickle of tickets from here. And I think it would be a massive success at this point if they can draw the same uh, six thousand fan crowd that the Omega Cody match did the first time around. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we'll have time as the card gets a little bit closer to kind of globalize this and talk about it in, in general. But I think we're seeing a lot of, you know, the overexposure of, of the Japanese talent, the new Japan talent in America. I mean, that we've had plenty of opportunities this year alone. Like you said, we have all in, like if you're going to travel, you, you presumably already travel during WrestleMania weekend. If you didn't travel during WrestleMania weekend, you're probably doing all in or, or, you know, no one's, I mean, the CEO show isn't doing well either. And so we're talking about two different situations yeah. where th- these shows are just the, and, and the problem is like, you can go, 
go to Ring of Honor War of the Worlds. You can go to Global Wars and see all of LIJ was there. The entire tour, I saw them, and they were like nothing. Jushin Thunder Liger was there, and I was like, yeah, whatever, Jushin Thunder Liger. I, I, I would have never in a million years thought that I would have just seen Jushin Thunder Liger and went, oh, yeah, Jushin Thunder Liger, cool. And that was it. That's all that it was when he went out. He came out for, for whatever War of the Worlds or whatever, Global Wars or whatever it was. And I went, oh, yeah, cool, Jushin Thunder Liger. And I kind of watched the match, and then I went and like got popcorn. Like I would have never in a million years expected me to ever feel that way about Jushin Thunder Liger coming out. And yeah, it was cool seeing LIJ. It was still cool seeing those guys. But I've seen them a bunch now. I've now seen Jushin Thunder Liger f- live four times in the last handful of years. Like I've seen him. Like that's I'm good. I've seen Naito live four or five times now. Like I'm I you know it's not a special thing for me anymore. So now it's all about these cards, and it's all about making these cards feel special. And we're seeing that there's a, there's a tough line there to make these cards feel special and to do it in a way that doesn't overexpose the talent. And the problem is they it's it's not necessarily it's, it's kind of a a, a two double edged sword here where the the card doesn't feel all that special. There doesn't feel like anything on this match that I or on this this match that I gotta fly to San Francisco to see if I've either already seen them before live this year or whatnot. But in general too, if you've just seen them live a bunch, even if there's a kick ass card, you might just say, hey, look. I just don't have the disposable income to just travel all of these shows, and 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 the card really is the point of it. If it's not a blowaway card, which this one is not, and the top match, the match that's really trying to drive people, already happened in March and already drove people to watch a bunch, you know, or April or whatever when it was, and got a huge crowd and got a gigantic crowd. So you're really coming from that same sort of pot there. So that's is, this is a problem that they're gonna have to sort of think uh, about. See, I think people, I don't think it's as deep as some people are saying. I, I'm I'm seeing a lot of things like. And these are all well-thought-out reasons. I just don't agree with them. Oh, they shouldn't have ran California three times. Oh, they shouldn't have ran so close to all-in. Oh, they shouldn't have done... Look, this is what it comes down to. If this was a killer card, it would sell tickets. I firmly believe that. I think um, you saw that initial burst. I mean, they sold 4,000 tickets without announcing a thing. Okay? If they would have... If the card was better, I think they would sell tickets. That's the bottom line. I don't think it matters that they're in California for the third time. I, I think these are these are small, granular things, but I don't think these are the reasons that the show isn't drawing. I think uh, you nailed. Oh it. no, and I I agree with that too. I think there are little things, but I think it's the card it's that's the card. always going to like. It's the card. Like we said, it's 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 too rainy. It's too nice. It's too cold. It's too snowy. It's it's not snowy enough or whatever. None of that fucking fucking matters if it's a great card. People will find a way to get to the show. If this was a kick-ass card. People would find a way to the show, and I think this brings up something that we talked about a few months ago, and I'm, I'm curious if we want to bring this back up again, or like I said, we can kind of globalize this in a few weeks as we get closer to, 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 uh, to the Cop House, but we talked about a little bit of maybe, we sort of assume that New Japan has this level of, oh, we're coming to America, we need to do this, we need to do this, we got to get this. It's a possibility that they just maybe don't think that America's that big of a deal and are fine selling 7,000 or 8,000 tickets to the show or whatever they end up getting or whatever. Or, like you said, a little bit high sixes. Like We sort of assume, and this card might be the, another example of that, that they just don't think that they have to empty out the clip to make sure that they get 10,000 in, in, in the Cow Palace. And they, I don't know that that's the right move, and I don't know exactly why you would book the Cow Palace that way, but this card is not indicative of, oh, my God, we need to sell this place out. This card is, yeah, here you go. All right, there. Well, you know, the card tickets, the card maybe. could be indicative of okay, we weren't really pleased with the four thousand first day sale, so fuck it, we're gonna punt it. Not necessarily, oh, we were gonna punt it. Like maybe if it would have done well on the first day, they would have done more with it. Um, here's the other thing too: we had heard whispers that they were gonna scale back the U.S. expansion a little bit, uh, you know. And here's the other thing: they've got a new president. We have no idea where Harold May stands on the U.S. expansion in terms of running shows in the U.S. Um, we did speak to someone who uh, who had direct contact with 
uh, May or or actually it's um, I've, um, I'm having problems articulating. But the bottom line is apparently May's thing is he's very big on English language expansion. But we were directly told with the caveat, and that doesn't necessarily mean shows. In other words, he wants to expose the new he wants to expose the New Japan product to Western audiences, but that doesn't necessarily mean running shows in those in those places. So that kind of set off something in my head where I thought to myself, well, that kind of makes sense that maybe they're just going to burn off this Cow Palace thing chalk it up as an average attendance or a below average attendance or whatever, and then just kind of move on and maybe come here once a year or maybe not even come here anymore at all. Um, you know, so so there's that to consider too. There's new leadership now. Then when You remember when all this began, it was Kadani talking big. It was Kadani talking yeah. using bulldozer analogies. He's going for and, WWE. I'm going to take down yeah. WWE. I'm challenging for the top spot. Yeah, that's... you know, but he's not in charge anymore. He's handed over the reins to someone else, and this person might have a completely different vision. But the bottom line to me is, I look at these four matches, and I'm like, look, I, I, that, that's not going to sell a ton more tickets. Now, if it was Omega Cody the first time, I think it would. But I think they got screwed here by Ring of Honor. Now, how much they. Now, whether they okayed the Ring of Honor match or knew about the Ring of Honor match, I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't even think that matters. Whether Ring of Honor screwed them or didn't screw them by, by kind of taking that match from them, the bottom line is they did it. And now what New Japan here has on the Cow Palace is a rematch of on a show which was going to be highly dependent on fly-ins, and people already flew in and stayed in hotels and spent a lot of money to see that match already. So, um, are they punting it? It kind of has the feel that of of a show that's being punted, yes. Because especially yeah, when this you... is not a card, this is not a card that now I would have. Because if you throw a kick ass card like this, is something that I, you know, I, I was sort of. I'm probably not going to go, but I was maybe sort of, somewhat, kind of on the fence. But now there's no chance in hell, and and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are this way too. I look at this and I go, yeah, I'm good. Like that's fine. If, I'll watch it home. You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. If, if they sell five or six thousand tickets, they're going to make money on this because the Cow Palace doesn't cost shit to run. I mean, you have indie promotions running the Cow Palace. That's a building right. just sitting there dead. Uh, waiting to be run, but you know it's obviously uh, you can't call it a success for the company unless they fill it. You're gonna run it, fill it. That's the bottom line. Um, you know, and, and and at this point, for their sake, you just hope they draw enough fans so it doesn't look horrendous on TV. Yeah, and that upper deck, that upper deck's looking pretty horrendous. Yeah, the right upper now, bowl, the, the upper bowl chart. looks awful. The bo- the the entire bottom, the entire floor and bottom bowl are gonna sell because they're very close. The floor and the bottom bowl, that's gonna be packed that upper bowl isn't going to come close because that whole upper bowl section uh, around that corner there at the at the one end of the arena is solid blue not a single ticket has been sold forget it they're not selling those seats it's going to be whatever you know walk up there is the day of the event people who can't buy on the floor they're going to buy you know they're going to sell a hundred of those if they're lucky so yeah you're going to want to avoid wide shots from the fucking entrance ramp up to that fucking upper bowl because it's, it, they might as well just tarp the fucker off. I mean, if, if they don't sell them. Yeah, go go borrow the uh, tarp from the Oakland A's across the bay because <laughs> yeah, that's what you're yeah. going to need that, unfortunately. And I think um, a lot right, of the big matches... These... Oh, I sorry, think a lot, Well, that, that's the transition. I think a lot of the big matches they could have done, they gave to fucking RevPro. 
Right, yeah, let's talk about these Rev Pro shows a little bit here. So you got the uh, Strong Style UK uh, shows coming up. So you got two nights there going on uh, with Rev Pro, kind of in, in conjunction with Rev Pro. A lot of good stuff on these. We'll talk about the kind of the big matches that you have here. But, um, you know, off the top of your head, the one that we said for the uh, the, the, the the British tag team titles, uh, the main event of night one is Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Okada and Ishii. You also have Kanemura versus Will Ospreay, Chris Brooks versus Yoshihashi, Walter versus Yuji Nagata. What a little sleeper match that is. I cannot yeah. wait to see Walter Yuji Nagata. That is like, Alan's going to be there, right? Our, our good friend Alan Forel. I'm sure. Because I mean, that's like his fucking dream match right there. That yeah, sounds really right is. up his alley. Also, Tiger Mask and David Starr could be really fun, too. I really like that. I like I like the dynamics of these matches. Yeah. They're, they're kind of fun. There's like some different, unique things they kind of did with that. Uh, Night 2's got some really fun stuff as well. Your main event, of course, for the British heavyweight title. Uh, Ishii defending the title against Minoru Suzuki. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Okada as your semi-main. I mean, that'll. I yeah. think that'll be okay. That's not bad. Taichi, Will Ospreay, Jay White, Chris Brooks. And then Walter versus Yujiro, which is a, a unique one that I... One of those ones that you're not quite sure you needed but kind of i guess and then uh, uh a sleeper one that i didn't even really realize until uh, you know how cool it would kind of be but you have el Fantasmo, taiji shimori david star and tiger mask like what a unique little four-way that is but these are fun little shows i like these cards a lot and they're gonna be on new japan world they'll be on the rev pro streaming service first and uh they'll be on new japan world too and i think this uh what's interesting what stands out to me besides the the awesome matches you know the ishii suzuki title match saber versus okada rematch um you know, and, and the and the Rev Pro tag title match with Okada and Ishii challenging Suzuki and Saber is is a big opportunity for Chris Brooks. Um, he'll have two uh, fairly big matches. He'll he'll take on Jay White mm-hmm. on the second night, and he's third from the top on the first night against Yoshihashi. So he's in there with New Japan talent on shows that are going to have a lot of eyes on them. Um, so these are big shows for Chris Brooks. Walter has nothing to prove to anyone, but you know he, he's in there too, mixing it up with uh, New Japan talent. On both nights, and I agree with you. I think Tiger Mask, David Starr, for some reason, I can't. Yeah, stop. why? I don't know. I, I, I want to see that match so bad. Because if Tiger, if the Tiger Mask from Best of the Super Junior shows up, I think those guys will mesh. And David Starr is also one of these guys who's a wrestling nerd, and I think he'll be into the idea of wrestling. You know, Tiger Mask, a version of Tiger Mask. Right. So uh, I do think that they will make the most of their time. If he gets a motivated, look, David Starr is always going to work hard. If you get a motivated Tiger Mask there, I think there's something to be seen. And then there's this TBA. I mean, Shota Aminu on night one and uh, Dan Dugan on night two, or Dan Duggan, however you pronounce that. I'm not familiar with this Dugan. Um, Hacksaw Jim Dugan. I'm going to go the Mid-South route and call him Hacksaw Hacksaw Dan Dugan here. Uh, But anyway, they're both scheduled against to be announced, and I have no idea what they have up their sleeve there, if it's going to be a big-time surprise or if it's just going to be some geek. So, but... You know, who knows? Maybe that's going to be some crafty little surprise that RevPro has up their sleeve. But, yeah, I think some of the matches here, you know, could have been done at the Cow Palace. It, it just goes to show you they're giving – now, look, some of these have RevPro, um, you know, invo- – I mean, look, you're not going to depend – RevPro is not going to have their titles defended in San Francisco instead of their own show. But, I mean, could you have done Zack Sabre Jr. Okada in the Cow Palace? Yeah, you could have. You know, and I think that would have been a match that would have gotten people excited. But, you know, and, and now it doesn't look like Jericho will be there and possibly Mysterio, too. But, yeah, these two shows look like a shit ton of fun. And uh, they will hit your New Japan World, um, you know, a couple days after they hit the Rev Pro. And then I guess we should blow through the, the important matches on the Kazuna Road Tour. Um, they're doing Elgin versus Goto for the Never Open Weight on the first Korokin show. They're also going to announce the participants for the G1. So that's in four days. It's coming up, Rich. June 17th, we'll know who's in the G1. 
and we'll get that Elgin Goto match as the main event. Uh, the next night, they're going to announce the blocks. So um, they're using the G1 announcements to draw fans like they did last year, which is incredible. <laughs> it's nuts. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and the main event of that show is Hiromu versus Despi, which the the match I clamored for for years. They they arguably had the best best of the Super Juniors match, and now they're going to have a main event in Cork and Hall for the title. Rich, that's going to blow the roof off that building. I mean, that's going to be fantastic. And then the next night, June 19th, uh, also Cork and Hall. Oh, I, actually, these might not all be Cork and Hall. I might be wrong about that, but they are three nights on the road. I thought they all were, but maybe I, I could be wrong as well. I don't have that in my notes. So but Anyway, June 19th, they're going to announce the, uh, the match announcements for the So you get the blocks the night before, and then they're going to tell you the matches on the, some of the featured matches the third night and what cities they'll be taking place in. And the main event of that, this is the, uh, uh, this is the uh, Super Strong Machine sort of uh, tribute show that they're doing. Um, so you're going to get five of the baby faces wearing the Super Strong Machine gear, and they're going to face off against LIJ in the main event of that one. Uh, Super Strong Machine will be in the corner. So um, Super Strong Machine 69, uh, obviously Rich is going to be Taguchi. <laughs> you, can, you can probably guess who that one's going to be. Yeah, so. Super Strong Machine Ace looks to be Tanahashi. Uh, Super Strong Machine Justice would be uh, would be uh, Nagata. Strong Machine Don confused a lot of people, but that's going to be uh, Nakanishi as he does the mascara right. Don gimmick at times. And, and then Strong Machine Buffalo. Surprisingly, that one threw some people off. But I mean, nobody knew who that one Tenzan was. Tenzan yeah, is really a fucking didn't. buffalo. I mean, that's what he is. Right. I mean, that's his fucking gimmick. He's a fucking wild buffalo. So that one's <laughs> going to be Tenzan. So uh, you'll have uh, you know, it's it's. They do these uh, anniversary matches from time to time or tribute matches or retirement matches. And I guess Super Strong Machine isn't physically fit to get in there, but he'll be in the corner of that show. But again, the real draw is the announcement of the matches for the G1. So that's a whole right. lot of... And I can finally stop hoping. I can finally stop hoping for a Strong Machine in the in the Rambo now, too. This officially yes, puts it done. down. It's, yes. He's done. It's over. It's the retirement special. It's, it's, it's not happening. So that's good. I can finally put closure on the strong machine uh, showing up in the in, in the Rambo, but I, it is Peroso, never say never. But I think it's it's we can finally maybe put it to bread. So yeah, so that's uh, all right. So you ready to get into the world of world wrestling entertainment, Joe? Yeah, we've got NXT Takeover Chicago, which you will not be attending. That's on Saturday. No, and then um, we've got Money in the Bank the next day. Uh, we'll start with NXT Takeover Chicago. And uh, we're not going to waste any time because we're running out of time on this show. Uh, we've got some stuff to get to. Takeover Chicago looks uh, way more enticing than the Money in the Bank show. Uh, well-built show. Takeover, as we always say, Rich, the safest bet in wrestling. This is guaranteed to be – like, is there any doubt in your mind that this is going to be a good-to-great show? No, nah, it's going to be great. And, and for the record, the reason I'm not going is because I have to go to a wedding. Trust me. <laughs> I was a little upset when I found out – Someone would book a wedding on Takeover Chicago night, but it's all right. Yeah. So I, I, the nurse got a look too, and I it, and she kind of understood it. It was it was. I was just like, "Fuck, that's Takeover." She's like, "Oh damn, I'm sorry." <laughs> like you know, not not her fault obviously, but I was, I was you know a little little miffed that because uh, I don't want to miss a Takeover because they're great, <laughs> they're always good. So I did not care about Money in the Bank. I'll be free on Sunday, but I'm not fucking going to Money in the Bank. But I was a little miffed that I couldn't get to Takeover, so it kind of stinks. But whatever. 
Yep. So Lorcan and Birch finally getting a little push here. And if you've been paying attention to the TV, uh, they get a tag team title match against Undisputed Era, O'Reilly and Roderick Strong. Uh, in this case, I thought they were going to kind of do a free bird deal, but it looks like they're kind of settling into Roderick Strong, just kind of taking Bobby Fish's place as part of the tag champs while Adam Cole uh, focuses on the North American title. Um, this is probably the sleeper match of the night because it's the match that no one's talking about. I mean, I think this could easily be the best match of the night. Yeah, it, it is kind of because I, I love the team. The, the Lorcan and Birch team is, is really fun. They're unique. They're different. And yeah, again, like now that you got O'Reilly and Strong and they've kind of become, and that's not taking anything from Bobby Fish or whatever, but O'Reilly and Strong are like awesome. You know what I mean? That's like those are two dudes are just unquestionably two of the best talents that NXT has and two of the best talents in the, in the world. So, yeah, I mean, this is – it's definitely one that I have circled. It's kind of a weird one where, like, yeah, we're going to – there's obviously more hyped matches. There's more matches that people are sort of looking forward to or talking about. But I think those two those two teams are going to go out there and kill it. And, and we know that everything in TakeOver gets time to really develop and really shine or whatever. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. It could – I don't know – I guess you could call it a sleeper. I don't know. Is it a sleeper? Is it not? I, I don't know where to put it. I think it's not getting the hype it probably deserves. But, yeah, it's, it's right up there. It's one of my most anticipated matches of the entire show. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm calling it the sleeper match because really, like you said, it's not getting any hype. Uh, we've got Alistair Black defending the title against Lars Sullivan. Rich, I'm going to ruin Lars Sullivan for you forever. Are you ready? All right, yeah, do it. So Lars Sullivan is basically uh, Braun Strowman physically and in the ring and also with the way that they've pushed him. But the next time you hear Lars Sullivan cut a promo, close your eyes and you know who you're going to hear? Oh, no. Josephus. Oh, no. <laughs> Think about God it. God damn it. God damn it. Yeah, he's kind of got that like little bit of a lisp. Like, his tongue's a little bit too big for his mouth. He thing. not yeah. only sounds like Josephus, he has the same oh, cadence no. as Josephus. And he has the God same style. He even talks about how he's smart and he's, you know, because his whole gimmick is he's. Yeah, yes, he's the, you know, the thinking man's big man right, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. It's like if Braun fucked Josephus. Now picture that. <laughs> now that's a vision. Now that's a vision there. Okay. And somehow so, that the, the combination of two very hairy men ended up with a very bald guy. But that's all right. That works. Yeah. Um, Lars is way too similar to the Braun thing for me. I'm not a big fan of the unstoppable monsters that are in handicap matches all the time. And I think it just buries everybody Oh, we'll else. talk about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that here in we a second. Handicap. Um, oh, my God. And, yeah. and Black, you know, look – Lars has, has, you know, he's, he's better than people think. And, you know, Black has done better in singles matches than I think um, in this company than he, than he did on the independent circuit. To be completely honest, I think, um, you know, if you talk to the guys from Brit Wrestling Roundtable, um, you know, Black was a guy who the knock on him was sometimes he would have poor singles matches. Um, but he's, but right. he's, he's done well here. Um, but he, look, Aleister Black's title run is completely overshadowed. Um, by Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. There's no question about it. Um, he plays second fiddle to that feud, and and that's just the way. I think it's overshadowed by just about everything on that entire show, I, and that was going to kind of be my yeah. thought about that, is I have no feel for this match, because, I mean, I watched all the build. I went kind of, I, I'd been maybe three or four weeks behind on NXT, so I really binge-watched it over the past few days, and when it was all done, I was like, that's your main event? Like, that's your NXT championship match? I, I know it's not going to be the main event, obviously, Ciampa and, and, and Gargano is going to be, but... There's just nothing in this feud. It's just, it's fine, but I have no feel for it. I got no feel for this title reign. I got nothing in this match. And I'm, 
I, you know, watching the TV, I thought would really kind of turn around a little bit. And I got to that last night, and I'm like, all right, let's go. Obviously, for with, for what's worth, we're recording as as NXT is is their their go home show is right. you know Correct. playing as we're yeah. recording this. And and I don't know, maybe there was some amazing thing in there. But man, with one week to go, I had no anticipation for this match. I didn't care one fucking lick. I mean, this is my least anticipated match on the entire card. I don't disagree with you. It's it's the most it's the least built for sure. The others have been tremendous. They just kind of look at each other. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Black threw one kick, Lars grabbed it, and that's your build, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not – this is probably my least anticipated match, too. Um, Black's title run has just been overshadowed and, and, and through really no fault of his own. And, um, you know, I don't know what to make of Sullivan as a challenger. I'm not – you know, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gargano and Ciampa. Now, now, if you, Rich, I know you're a devoted listener to my television reviews. Um, oh, of course. Yes. So, um, but <laughs> <laughs> look, was that did, did that seem genuine on any level whatsoever? Or no, did that? I, I'm not a good liar. I don't think we've got like 370 Patreon subscribers. So you know, even less than that, probably. I don't think every single one of them are listening to my reviews every week. So I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I'm really not because I'm speaking to like 10 times as many people or even more times as many people listening to this free show. Plus you, I'm over this. To me, I call this when I do my television reviews, whenever their segments come on NXT, I call it the Johnny Gargano melodramatic bullshit. I think it's overwrought. I think it's melodramatic. I think it's fucking overdone. Um, I'm over it. Are they going to go out there and have a great match in their Chicago street fight, which, by the way, is no different than an unsanctioned match other than the, they'll have a real referee out there? <laughs> oh, no. You know that Chicago fights are a bigger deal, Joe. You make that joke all the time. You know, yeah, knee pads over the, the streets. Jeans. They're, they're going to be dodging bullets in the streets of Rosemont or the, the parking lot surrounding the Allstate Arena. No, I mean, it's it gets rough and tumble there in the, uh, the, the burbs of Chicago. I don't know what well, you're talking they, about, man. Well, they go to Halstead Street. Uh, it would be a hike. I mean, I suppose they could. It would definitely be a while till they did that, though. It would because uh, then, of it would course, take them quite a quite a while to get to Halstead, Unfortunately, well, listen, because then, of course, they can run into one man gang. I mean, we've got to do that bit. We do that right. bit every time. I mean, one man gang's probably just out there with his mohawk and his fucking denim jacket and his skulls yeah, on. Yeah, he's his got sleeve. a foot up on a brick wall, holding the crowbar, just waiting for you to show up. Yeah, he's 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 waiting there at all times. Absolutely, but, but anyway, um, I, long I suppose I'm they gonna, could fight. They could if. I don't know how long takeover is going to be. If it's like three hours, then yeah, they could probably fight to Halstead, but they'd probably be exhausted by the time they got there. But yeah, you know, we'll see. It's a Chicago street fight. Anyway, I'm just kind of over all this. I'm tired of Johnny Gargano getting put on stretchers. I'm tired of his wife getting put on stretchers. I'm tired of uh, you know Gargano coming out there and scree- with his screeching promos talking about. It. I, Rich, I'm just over it. I, I've, I'm over this story. Um, I, look, I, I'm sure it'll be a great match. I am no longer emotionally invested. And I, I and look, I also recognize Rich that I'm firmly in the minority, but I'm ready for both of these guys to move on, and I'm ready for this to not consume, you know, 15 minutes of every NXT that I watch. Where I'm at is not quite as bad as you. Like I think I'm still somewhat into it because I know that the end of the the rainbow or whatever is going to be an awesome match. I know that when yeah. it's all said and done, no matter what. But the build, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the build. I'm sort of over it a little bit. It's been fine. It's been good. But I thought their best stuff was in the build towards WrestleMania, the, the takeover um, uh, New Orleans. 
And since then, it's just kind of, yeah, I, I, I feel like they just added it on another few months, and it didn't need that. I felt like they could have definitively ended it at New Orleans and moved on from there. So I really didn't like that, that part, that it, it has kind of continued to go on and continued to go on. And like you said, they, they're kind of running out of ideas. It's kind of the same thing over and over again. Johnny, you know, is, is, is gets put on a stretcher. Johnny goes against, you know, Candace's wishes. Candace gets put in there. Tommaso comes out and does his little promos where he doesn't say anything for 10 minutes and then yells. It's kind of been the same thing over and over and over and over, and and like we said, NXT does a great job of storytelling, but I'm kind of ready for the conclusion of this. I cannot wait for the match because I know it's going to kick ass, but I've really been laboring through the build. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't hate it nearly as much as you do, but I'm good if this is it for it. And I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that they're done with this because I think both guys could really shine doing some other stuff and they need to kind of move on to different, you know, bigger and better things, I think. They've, they've, they've done this feud to death now and we're all ready for it to end, I think. Yeah. Hate's a strong word, but I'm definitely over the story, that's for sure. Um... Ricochet Velveteen Dream. Now, this is, again, tremendously built match. Uh, they've done a, a masterful job here building this match. Well, one week was a bit of a slip-up. Well, I did, yeah, I didn't like the handicap match with, with Lars Sullivan. <laughs> I think abortion. that's what you're what talking about. What are you about. doing? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I know that like you're trying to tell two stories at once, but don't do that. Just don't, if, don't if do that. If you're going to do handicap matches with Lars Sullivan, do it with two guys who are just trainees in NXT or guys you're not pushing yet or Raul Mendoza and name your other name another prelim guy. I mean don't do it with two guys who you're presumably trying to push. Fabian Eichner. Yeah. Fabian Eichner. Yeah, and I mean I nothing again. No, I like him. You don't want to you don't want to bury Fabian. No, Eichner. but that's the thing. I yeah. like both of those guys, but they're not being pushed yet. You can do it with guys like that. Um yeah, but I hated that. But otherwise, look, Ricochet has been even better than I thought he would be in NXT. His promos are a revelation. I don't know where he learned how to start doing passable promos, but he's doing passable. He's doing pretty good promos, uh, honestly. Velveteen yeah. Dream is one of the most overrated wrestlers in the world, and the reason being is he is he has a ton of potential, and you can see that he has a chance to be really great, but he isn't yet, and people think he is. And someone has to tell the truth about Velveteen Dream, and and I guess that person has to be me. Um, it, it's like he clearly gets lost in matches when things don't go according to plan. Um, he botches a lot of spots. Velveteen Dream is really typical of a lot of WWE trainees. They're great when everything goes according to plan, but they have no clue how to improvise, or and they freeze when things don't go their way. And look, he's like 22 years old or whatever it is. He's in developmental. This isn't a complete burial of Velveteen Dream. There's a lot to like about Velveteen Dream. But at this point, this idea that he's one of the 50 best wrestlers in the world on these goofy lists that people put together and all this and that, he's not even close. I mean, this guy is so overrated. Can we give him a chance to improve before we crown him? I mean, why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's like, you know. Yeah, some people have it, some people have him on the trajectory as like the next big star in WWE. And I'm like, holy shit, man. <laughs> like, let's, let's wait a little, man. He hasn't even, t- he's not even on top of the NXT yet. But people have already kind of anointed him as like the next big guy. And it's like, whoa, hold on. I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, geez, has anyone gotten more mileage out of one good match? He's gotten more good, he's gotten more mileage out of that Aleister Black match. I, can you think of a wrestler who's gotten more mileage out of one good match? What else has he done? All those other matches are loaded with botches and miscommunications and, and, a, and, and a guy that, that can look dynamic but is clearly green as the grass I'm looking at in this Royals-Reds game. And yes, I am watching the Kansas City Royals play the Cincinnati Reds, two of the three worst records in baseball because I'm a loyal fan. But the, the guy is green. 
I, and, and, and it's it's amazing the praise this guy gets. Look, if you want to tell me he's got potential, I'm not going to disagree with you. If you want to tell me he's a potential star, I might not even disagree with you. But, geez, the amount of praise that gets heaped on this guy, he is without question right now the most overrated wrestler in professional wrestling. So there's your Velveteen Dream burial. Yeah, and, uh, and one thing that I do is I think he nails the character, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people, because oh, nowadays in that. wrestling, it's, it, it's rare to get a yeah. guy that just nails the pro wrestling character, a guy that doesn't feel like he's, and we're going to talk about you know someone here in a little bit, and Shayna Baszler, who I think is getting it, but you can tell it's still like she's trying to be this character a little bit more than she is or whatever, whereas Velveteen Dream just nails it. He's got the character, he's got the promos, he's got the nuance of it, he's got, and so we don't see that very often in, in today's pro wrestlers, ones that usually the work comes and then it's like, all right, now kind of develop a character. Ricochet, perfect example. Guy yeah. whose work has been great for the last five years or whatever, but only now have we said, oh, he's gotten decent at promos, he's gotten this. Whereas Dream has gotten the first part done. He's already a great character, and now it's a little bit more of refining the wrestler. So I think people then sort of jump to conclusions then of like, oh, shit, he's already got that. He's got one of the hardest parts. So now his work's just got to catch up. And we sort of assume that, like, you, you know, you snap your fingers and you become a good worker, and it's not necessarily that quite yet. The guy's still super green, like you said. He's, he's, he's only a few years into the business. So he, it's awesome that he's nailed the character but there's a little bit more to be involved in it until he gets to that next year level so yeah let, let, let's 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 let it play out a little bit before we kind of annoy him because all that's going to happen is disappointment and that's the problem is is he's going to then get to like whatever level it is and then maybe he might be a disappointment because he's not quite ready yet and that's n- by no fault of his own he's still developing and that's what this roster is meant to do is develop people so i'm with you i don't i don't think he, oh, I, yeah i mean people are going to get a very negative connotation when you say most overrated ah, too bad. but that's i think you're just opinion. saying well, and you're, well, you're just saying that the people sort of put him on a pedestal yeah. or anoint him as something bigger than he is right now, and he's good and he's getting, he's showing potential and all that sort of stuff. But let's kind of reel it in a little bit. He's not at that level quite yet, no. but I think it's a lot of it is because, like I mentioned, he's got the character down to a fucking science, and that's hard for a lot of people to do. So we sort of then assume, oh well, he's ready to go then. And it's like, well, none no, of the works, you know, the other part of the equation, and he's in no level ready to go on that quite yet. And we see any match that breaks down even a little bit turns into a complete disaster. The Cassius Ono match, he's in there with Chris Hero for God's sake. Yeah. Yeah. One thing goes wrong, and the whole thing's a disaster the rest of the match. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy who, he's not even close to being a great wrestler. I would argue he's not even a good wrestler right now. He's, he's a young wrestler who's learning, who has the tools. He's got some, di- look, that elbow drop, there's some dynamic things that this guy does. But, you know, it, it's, he's, he's a young wrestler, and he's learning. And the other thing I have concerns with are his maturity level and his personality. He was allegedly gone for all that time because he was in rehab. Allegedly. Okay, so that's a giant red fucking flag. Okay, and he's always had personality and maturity concerns. That those are giant red flags in his company. Because if they have enough of you with that shit, okay, they'll cut your ass loose. You know, so there, there, there's a there's a lot to like with Velveteen Dream, and there's a lot to be very very wary of. So um, I'm, I I personally am still in the show me stage with Velveteen Dream. I am in the show me stage, and admittedly. It takes wrestling. What's funny is that's what's NXT. It's NXT. Yes, it like, should it's be the funny show that the me. way yeah. they've crafted yeah. NXT is like half the rosters we've talked about are guys that are some of the best wrestlers in the world. Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Ricochet. You know what I mean? Like these people that are, are ready to go an Alistair Black type or whatever that we forget that it's developmental. These guys need – that's what they're here for is to develop and refine. But, yeah, we've sort of – NXT has kind of become the thing where we sort of assume that everybody's ready to go. And that they're already yeah. the best that they can possibly be. And it's like, no, that's, that's what this is for. Right. So, yeah, that, that's where I am on Dream. Um, look, you know, who know, you know we'll, we'll see. But I am still – and look, I am admittedly someone where wrestlers take longer to get out of the show me stage than with a lot of other people. I, I really take 
I think, more convincing than your average fan that someone has the goods. So um, I'm just being patient with Dream. Uh, there's a lot to like, and there's a lot, definitely a lot not to like. Uh, Shayna Baszler, Nikki Cross. <sighs> Again, Rich, you don't listen to the TV reviews. I Nikki Cross, I just do not get. The gimmick is absurd to me. Um, to me, she comes off like uh, the old 80s movie, The Ghoulies. I'm waiting for her to climb out of a toilet and bite my asshole. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I don't get Nikki Cross. She's like this weird lunatic with crazy eyes. Does she speak? Does she not speak? Now that sanity is gone, this is someone who can clearly use a repackaging. I, 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 the gimmick is very cringe. It doesn't fit the rest of the tone of NXT. Um, I think she'd be better off without it. Um, Shayna Baszler has been tremendous. The only, and again, this is developmental. I hated Shayna Baszler's promo uh, last week on NXT where she really came off like she was like inauthentic playing a pro wrestler. Mm -hmm. She doesn't need to be inauthentic at all. She just needs to go out there and be herself and she's going to come off intimidating. But it's like the first long-term promo she ever cut. So let's give her a break. This is developmental after all. Um, And I kind of like the dynamic of Shayna Baszler is a bully. She beat the shit out of Dakota Kai. She bullied her. She put her in the rear view. She bullies the whole locker room. But she can't bully Nikki Cross because Nikki Cross is fucking insane. And Baszler is kind of shook by that. Because her whole game is intimidating you and bullying you, and you can't bully someone who's fucking nuts. I do like that story. I just think Nikki Cross is so cringe to me that it's hard for me to get into her. With that said, when the bell rings, I think they could have a really good match. I have, a, I have an interesting thought about this match because I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm not in love with the Nikki Cross build, and I haven't really loved this. I, I think Baszler's been good aside from that promo. Like you said, the, the, if you double-cross oh, me again you didn't or like you ever try then. to pull so, that again, I'm going to beat you. That's be the last thing you yeah, ever I do. I was promo. just like, oh. It. I was like shivering when she was doing it. I was like, stop. Please yes. stop. You're, you're, you're killing me. But I, is this weird that I, I had this thought as I was kind of watching these build and, 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 build and binge watching this NXT? I kind of was hoping that the Dakota Kai match would be the takeover match because I thought that was amazingly well built. And even if Baszler went out there and just blitzed her, I'm fine with that being the takeover match. I thought that would have been so much because this Nikki Cross thing, you're, you're getting this build towards the Dakai match, and that, that's going on for three, four weeks or whatever. It blows off two weeks before takeover. Nikki Cross comes out, just starts going screaming about nonsense. She gets a visual pin over Baszler, which I hated too. That's another thing that I just dislike. Dakota Kai counts, and then it's like I guess Nikki Cross wins the title, but of course she doesn't because Dakota Kai is not the ref. Then the next week, Nikki Cross comes out and just starts screaming again, and then that's the build, and that's all we have for the build of this match and then they just go to commercial and say these two are going to face each other at takeover to me like the go to kai thing was a way better build and i know that that was sort of meant to get baszler to the next level yeah but when that match was over i was like shit i kind of wish that was just on a takeover because i would love the idea of 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 everybody knows that kai has no chance but then those hope spots that she had in the match would have been incredible in a live crowd i think the crowd would have rallied behind her and said yeah we really want you know kai to do this and then she would have just gotten beaten down like because i thought that match was awesome i thought baszler just in one second just latching her and putting her in the the sleeper and making her tap out was a super cool little visual, but I, I, I know like everything about that build and everything about that match I loved, and then it was like, oh yeah, like now we got to build towards Nikki Cross and Takeover. It just felt like such a drag ever since then. I was way into the Kai story, so I don't know. I know it doesn't make sense, uh, maybe on a Takeover show for that match, but I don't know. I think they could have done a better job of that, and and I just don't like this Nikki Cross thing. It's just I don't get what they're doing. I don't get why Baszler. You know, it's just I don't know. I'm, I'm not well, into the, Nikki Cross the, either, so I'm kind of with you. Yeah, I mean the idea was. They're not ready to push Dakota Kai. Dakota Kai was just to get Baszler over as a bully killer. And 
if you notice during that whole feud, Nikki Cross would be like hanging on lighting rigs, like biting the fucking metal and doing whatever. Yeah, but that's annoying. That's, that's it's so stupid. Cringe. I don't want yeah. That. So the whole time, <laughs> yeah. like she was overseeing it and scouting, I guess, or whatever the fuck it is a ghoulie does. And you know, but yeah, I can't get into Cross. I just hope when the bell rings, it's a good match. I think they can have a good match. I think Cross can take her through a good match. Baszler's still a little green too. Um, uh, so you know, I think Baszler's at her best when she doesn't sell. Like, like against Kai, where there's just a couple of little hope spots. Well, and that's what I meant. That's why I would have yeah. loved that in a takeover. She sold for, like, a minute because Kai had this little hope spot. She yeah. got two kicks in there. And then the second, you know, she gave her just an inch, Baszler just la- you know, latched onto her, put her in that sleeper, and tapped her out or whatever, which I love. That would have been awesome to watch, right. you know, live at a takeover. And now it's going to be a back-and-forth match with Nikki Cross, and I don't really want that with Baszler. I hear you. Or maybe it's not. Maybe she'll just tap out Nikki Cross in two minutes. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, we don't sound too excited about this, but I guarantee it's going to be good. This, this no, point. it'll be good. We always say, don't don't bet against. Every time we come to these takeover builds, we're like, eh, this. We're criticizing. We're taking it from a critical eye or whatever. But then when it's all done, we're going to love it. Because Gargano and Ciampa is going to fucking kick ass. Ricochet and Dream is going to be awesome. And then, like you said, Undisputed Era uh, and Lorcan and Birch will be pretty That's great, the too. one and, I can't. And I think Black and Sullivan could be, too. I think Black and Sullivan will be good, too, even if I'm not a big fan of the build. And I'm not a big fan of, of, of you know, what they've been doing with it. But I have no doubt. It's just funny. We're not well. a big fan of a lot of stuff on this show. But we concede that it's probably going to be really good. It's 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 right, and I and I like NXT as well. Like I still love that show as like a one hour compact thing or whatever. But yeah, there's three matches on there that I can't wait for. So I mean, any show where you have three matches you can't wait for, I mean that's pretty good out of five. I mean that's not bad at all. Yeah, sure, which takes us to Money in the Bank. Oh, um, Rich, I'm done predicting match match outcomes in WWE. I'm done because they've proven that a none of it really matters unless Brock Lesnar's involved. And B, they don't even really care about their storytelling at all uh, in terms of it being logical or mattering, particularly from pay-per-view cycle to pay-per-view cycle. So to me, trying to predict main roster WWE match outcomes is no different than trying to predict where lightning is going to strike next, no different than predicting the outcome of a coin toss, no different than predicting the spin of a roulette wheel, no different than predicting anything else that that would be a total waste of time to intellectually analyze. To me, trying to predict the winners of these matches are exactly the same. And it, 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 for me, it makes it almost impossible to preview these shows. Reviewing them is another story because you can break down the matches. But previewing these WWE main roster shows feels like an exercise in futility because what are you really projecting? It, 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 none of it means anything. And everything, all the outcomes may as well be random because none of them really lead to anything or, or matter long-term. Why would I care who wins the women's money in the bank match? It doesn't fucking matter. Right. Um, so, and, and you know, it, and, and why would I care who wins the Roman Reigns-Jinder Mahal match or the Bobby Lashley-Sammy Zayn match? How can I predict those things when it doesn't matter who wins those matches? Roman Reigns... Right, literally, literally anybody can win the men's money in the bank because they have, not, they, they have not shown you that one of those is better than the others. They're all just sit on ladders and talk about why they should win, and that's it. And, that's, and, and they did the same thing with the women. It doesn't... All those have the exact... It is 50-50 across the board. Any one of them can win. And there's been nobody that's really rose above. It could be Kevin Owens. It could be Finn Balor. Would you be surprised by any of those guys that win and any of the women that win? It could be Lana and Bobby Roode. I don't fucking know. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And, it really could be any combination of, of the 9,000 people that are in these matches, by the way. They're all like, 
it's like these Wu-Tang Clan, Leonard Skinner matches where everyone on the fucking roster is in these things. That's another problem. And does it really matter? Like, Jinder Mahal could beat Roman Reigns, but then Roman Reigns could beat Brock Lesnar for the title. It doesn't fucking matter. They don't build anything <laughs> right, yeah, long. It's... None of the long-term... There is no such thing as long-term booking in this company with the exception of the top couple of WrestleMania matches on a year-to-year basis. Otherwise, there's no long-term booking, and it doesn't matter. So as we preview this show, really, I'm going to just talk about... uh, First, I'm going to be grumpy, and second of all, I'm just going to talk about whether I think it's going to be a good match and who I personally want to win for my own personal enjoyment. And there's really no other way to approach these things. So we start off with the Bludgeon Brothers defending against Gallows and Anderson, and the Bludgeon Brothers is one of the few things they've done recently that I've enjoyed because I think the Bludgeon Brothers are getting a classic, solid traditional pro wrestling push they they beat everybody up and they win all their matches so and they're the champions i like that i can understand that because that's the pro wrestling that i've seen my entire life i don't know what the fuck the rest of this shit is that this company does but this i understand these guys beat everybody up and win all their matches i like it and i hope they win again yeah it's simple and and i do hope they win as well um yeah, I mean that's that's all there is to it. And Gallows and Anderson are just kind of spinning their wheels, doing really nothing. But yeah, I like the Bludgeon Brothers. I've been I've been enjoying, and it's it's yeah, it's it's kind of unique and old school in that sense that they just win. <laughs> you know, it's just you know, it's not bullshit. They just go out there and they win. It's not that hard. But you know, I... so women's money in the bank. There's five thousand people in this match. It's like why it just doesn't feel special when when everyone is in the match. Like, are there any women not on this show? I mean, you're either a champion, a challenger, or you're in the money in the bank. It's like, how does it then, how does this match feel special? What did, why, what sets these people apart from the one or two women that aren't in the Money in the Bank match? Why is Lana in this match? Uh, shouldn't it just be the top couple of contenders from each brand, make it feel special, like they really earn their way there? But there's eight fucking people in the match. And like you right. said, it doesn't fucking matter. Any one of them can win it. You know, and it's like, to me, I have two problems with both of these Money in the Bank matches. Number one, I've had it with ladder matches. If the NXT ladder match from New Orleans wasn't going to move my needle, I I now realize that nothing will. Because that was a match that was universally praised, and I thought 